This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, and thank you for tuning in this morning. I started, uh, I started this, uh, yeah, let me start off here again. I started the Smart Investing Show 28 years ago, uh, where we discuss finance, investing, and the economy. And it is a call-in show where we like to hear from you. If you, you know, want to call in for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion, give us a call at 866 577 2473. That's 866 577 2473. And with me is Chase. Good morning, Chase. How are you doing? Good morning. Doing well. Well, I'm all just messed up this morning because the normal mic that I use on the boom is not working. So I got the mic on the desk and it just has thrown off my whole position of how I'm talking. So now I can't think of what I'm supposed to say because it's not working. I think Brendan's still kind of working on it there trying to get it to work because it's just like I feel like I got to lean in closer to the mic because if I don't, you can't hear me because I. Oh, oh yeah, no, so. yeah. Well, so. hey, you got to build up that core. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to be off today because, again, I got to remember to hang in close to the microphone so you can hear me. Uh, but but let's talk about what happened last week because the big thing was, and for some reason to me it didn't seem like a big thing. I guess it was uh, the, the the jobs report. I mean, overall, you know, I say it was a good, good jobs report uh, this month as uh, 850,000 jobs were recouped. Uh, from the pandemic losses that we saw last year. That's a key word there, recouped. Yes, I, I kind of emphasize that. Yeah, it's not like, oh, they're new jobs. No, they're recouped jobs that were lost about a year ago. Uh, but this was at, uh, above the expectations, and it, it's no surprise that it beat uh, the, the beat-up sectors that continue to lead the way, such as leisure, hospitality. Well, they saw a gain of about $343,000. And even public and private sector education Saw a gain of 269,000. So things are moving in the right direction. But to me, it just seems like maybe it slowed down a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. And I, I mean, the thing that I point out here, too, is people, how can education be one of the most heavy hit sectors? Right. Well, a lot of times I think people forget about all the other jobs that go into the realm of education. It's not just teachers that might be able to teach online. I mean, you talk about your janitors that are there. You have, you know, just different security guards on campus as well. And, you know, my friend in Colorado, he's a cop on site at a high school. So you forget about all these jobs that go into the, the high schools and right. the, the elementary schools and the middle schools that were kind of wiped out by online learning. So yeah. those are the ones that I think are really coming back. So that's why you're seeing a, a, a big boost there to the private and public education system. Uh, but kind of looking here at the numbers still, that since the bottom in April, payrolls have grown 15.6 million. So, again, we, we knew last year <laughs> you couldn't go terrible. much lower. Right. You know, <laughs> we knew we were going to get jobs back. So we, we've seen that happen. But we do still remain 6.8 million jobs or 4.4% below the pre-pandemic level achieved in February 2020. And we talked about leisure and hospitality. I mean, they've been beat up the most. 
they still remain 2.2 million or 12.9% or about three times uh, the normal or the whole job sector. They've struggled uh, immensely, of course, but that that's below where they stood in February 2020. So we still believe that what's going to lead this job recovery, it, it's, it's not going to be, you know, policies. It's going to be reopening this economy. Right. It's going to be getting people back to work. It's going to be the leisure and hospitality sector that is going to, I think, <laughs> continue to see the largest gains for the next few months. Yeah, and, and we went to our favorite restaurant in UTC last night, uh, the winery, and, uh, you know, I was talking to the owner, Linda, and it's just like, well, you seem to be doing okay. She goes, well, you don't see now what's going on behind the kitchen. She goes, we don't have a couple of things like a pastry shaft, a, uh, a, 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 I think a dessert. I mean, different things that you don't see that happen behind the kitchen. Uh, in the kitchen, they go, we can't get people to fill those jobs. Well, and you don't think about too. I remember we went there, I think it was two weeks ago, perhaps. Um, it was a short time ago. And the manager that's normally, you know, greeting people on the floor, talking to people, oh, yeah. he had to run the line on yeah. the kitchen and yeah. kind of take care of the orders and there's just a a mismatch between what's going on in the kitchen and i i got to commend a lot of these restaurant owners because it's tough and talking to you know a lot of you who's been with our firm for a long time her one of her favorite restaurants she said they can't find workers and the family is there every single day yeah and yeah. you know mom dad kids they're all there trying to keep that restaurant afloat yeah and if you if you do own a restaurant uh, you're not really running the restaurant now you're actually cooking, you're cleaning, you're picking up, you're delivering food. I mean, because you're, you're serving, you're kind of yeah. serving. Yeah, you got so many things to do. So, so th those jobs, I think will, will come, uh, probably the next few months. The, the, the sad part is, is that they'll come probably in September, October. Well, you're going to miss the big boom season in the summer. Well, and I, I am very curious and, you know, we do know that the unemployment <clears throat> benefits began ending, I think it was about a week or two ago in a few states and yeah. they can continue to end in a couple other states. Did that show up in this report? I didn't notice it. Do you think? Well, that's what I'm saying right. is I think this is a broad over overview of it. Right. I want to see the unemployment rate Next state month. by state breakdown right? because that I think that comes out a little bit later. I'm going to take a look and see if I can find it next week. But I, I do know they do break out unemployment by state. And, and I think it's like 25 states, but they didn't all do it on like June 15th or something. So we may see a bigger or better result when we get the numbers the first Friday of the month in August, because that'll be the full month of July. Mm -hmm. So we can see some good numbers there with people returning. But I, but I am very curious to see how does, like a state like, uh, gosh, Louisiana, I think is one of them, or, right. or Texas or Florida, that they've talked about ending them. Arizona's another one. How's that going to compare to California, yeah. and New and York? Yeah, and one important thing, too, is that they, they talked about ending them. They had set dates. So just when you heard, like, oh, they're going to stop it, didn't mean they stopped it then. They had, like, yeah. certain dates. I think some were, like, June 1st, maybe June 15th. So we're just starting to see the effects of those. So next month, uh, when we get the report in August, we'll see, I think, some major effects. Well, and again, it's half the country. Yeah. So still, it could be good, but maybe not as good. Or I think this is highly unlikely, but the administration continues to say that unemployment benefits have no impact on the jobs. So, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll see what happens right. there. And right. I do want to see the, the numbers, again, state by state, because that's how I think we'll be able to tell if it is having an impact. So yeah. I'm very curious on that. One other thing, too, that, that I think is interesting. Uh, I heard a financial pundit the other day talking about the wage inflation and you know, he, he was kind of saying he was a little bit surprised on wage inflation. He's in the camp that there's going to be inflation. Right. But they were saying it was kind of a Goldilocks report because wage inflation didn't exist to the level of, oh, my gosh, we're going to have huge inflation. 
and we created some jobs or a good amount of jobs or recouped some jobs is how I should say it. But I, I, I think the interesting thing to point out here with the wage inflation is we talked about <clears throat> what sector is coming back the strongest. Leisure and hospitality. Oh, yeah. Well, what happened last year? What jobs were kept? A lot of high-paying jobs. Those are the people that were left in the economy. So you saw wage inflation yeah. last year, not because the economy was booming and we had all these jobs coming about and you're fighting over employees, but because of the fact that the numbers were, I'm going to say, skewed because they were higher-paying jobs that maintained. So you saw wage inflation during a very <laughs> difficult time. And I think what's happening now is you're competing over workers, and that's tough, and it's creating wage inflation, but it's at a lower pay grade. It's not in your executive level, your management right. level. So I, I do think you're going to have to, I don't want to say throw out these numbers on wage inflation, but I think it's going to have to be taken with a grain of salt. Although I, I do have to say, too, on, on top of that, though, that uh, many uh, jobs like your waiters and waitresses and so forth, their income has gone up dramatically. I think they used to make, I'm going to say, $20 an hour maybe. I mean, now it seems I talk to different ones that will tell me, and they, they seem to be doing 30 to $40 an hour. So, And there's a lot of them, so they have a big increase. But you're right, I mean, the higher-paying jobs, well, gosh, if you're making, uh, oh, I'm not going to be able to do this quickly on air. I was going to say if you're making $40, $50 an hour, that, that comes out to be, I want to say, around 60 70 grand a year, maybe even more. Yeah. I'm not even going to try and do the math on that. That's yeah. that's a lot of work right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I'm so screwed up with my, my microphone that I'm, I'm kind of like so conscious of it that i got to lean into it. I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to look at the numbers and lean into it, still talk. You probably won't hear me half the show. It's just, it, it, see, you have the boom mic where it yep. can come right to you. It's this back. One, yeah, you can move it. You can move around. It's there. This one i got to like lean in for the whole two hours here. But I'll do that because I love doing the show. Let's move on here. Let's talk about uh, despite the pandemic last year, uh, and a large increase in government debt, I have pointed out before about the wealth transfer from government increasing their debt. Uh, the benefits can be to businesses, to consumers. Actually, in 2020, the government debt increased by $4.2 trillion. However, the U.S. personal wealth increased by three times that amount. Yeah, it's $13.5 So, again, as you kind of said, that the government took on debt and the consumers balance sheet really improved not just because of that but you know it, the money kind of flew into the stock market and right. the home so uh, also out of debt a lot of people paid off credit card debt people paid off mortgages things of that nature so we did see a little bit of you know transition in terms of where the debt is positioned and i want to point out we are not big advocates of continuing to spend continuing right. to spend but i, I do want to say we're not, I mean, oh my gosh, it's going to be terrible because we have all this debt. You know, I think if we continue to spend at these levels, yes, we're going to have issues. And, and we talk about this as well, is what happened last year is very similar to 2008, 2009. To kind of combat a major depression, you borrowed from the future. Yeah. So what that means is you kind of took some economic growth from, let's say, three years from now to get it in 2020 and 2021. But now that means we're probably not going to have the same runway in terms of economic growth in the next 10 years because you borrowed it from the future. You're going to have to yep. slow down that debt borrowing at some yep. point. And I said the same thing back in 2000, uh, 2009 after that. I mean, we, we did a the similar thing. We borrowed a lot of money to get the, keep the economy going so it didn't go into depression and so forth. And we had good returns, but I don't believe the GDP went much above 4 to 5%. Um, but we didn't have any declines. And then we had like a eh, 2 to 4% growth. 
uh, we're having a big increase this year in GDP because of the, the how, how low it was before. But I think future years, it's not going to be that big. You're going to have that 2 to 4% growth again, which is not bad. But in the past, you would have a major recession. And then you'd see GDP growth at you know, 10 15% sometimes because, oh, my gosh, your boom is just there. Well, when you borrow from the future, you're not going to have that, but you don't have those major declines um, either. And the thing is that the, the, the debt level, um, I, I know it's around, what, 30 32 $33 trillion for the government. It's at a position now to where it's okay. But you're right, we don't want to go much higher because if the economy is growing, people's net worth is growing, you can handle higher debts. Like if, if you have a job and you're making $50,000 a year and your debt was, we'll say, you know, $50,000, well, that's 100%. But if your income went up to 100000 and your debt went up to $75,000, you are in a better position uh, because your, your, your debt to equity, uh, debt to income is, is not as high. So you gotta, you got to look at the whole picture. And I, I'm not a big advocate of, of a lot of debt either. We talk about it in the balance sheets here. But I don't want people to panic like, oh, my gosh, we're going to have a major recession. The government's going to cut down, shut down because of debt. We're not in that position. The economy has grown. And you look at the economy growth over, I'll say, the last 10, 15 years, it is huge. It's a big increase. Yeah, and I, I was just going to pull, pull it up, up here. The U.S. national debt right now is at $28.5 trillion, we'll call it. Oh, so it's not even $32 trillion. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> okay, let's go spend what we can buy here. <laughs> yeah, so. Just kidding, of course. <laughs> right, right, right. But, but it is even more important. And I think what it was was I said, I don't think we'd have real issues unless the, the debt got up to about $34, $35 trillion. I think that would be a terrible situation. But um, and again, we're not encouraging the government to go out and, and, and borrow more. But uh, and and I talked to somebody too. I mean, I, I kind of felt like a year or so from now we could have a, a mild recession. I don't think we're gonna have that. I, I think we're gonna be fine here. Uh, and I'm kind of starting to look back at the 1920s uh, after their pandemic. They went for about almost what seven eight years until 1929 hit, and that was a big crash. I knew they were <clears throat> booming back then, but I, I'm just curious. I, I don't think the government and Fed took the same policy action though back during the right the, the Roaring Twenties. So I, I do wonder if that had again a longer runway because they didn't borrow so much from the future. Yep. So I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I mean because there were boom times for years. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe we have a boom year and then a long runway, but slower growth like we yep. saw after 2008, 2009. So. And again, that, that's why you, you can't panic when it comes to investing. And, yeah. you know, oh, we're going to have a crash. Again, we don't think we're going to have a crash by any means. Right. It's just you got to be careful what you're investing in. And one thing, too, to talk about is talk about the, the consumer and their balance sheet. I mean, we look at this number here, and it just blows me away. Have you ever wondered the total value of all stocks in the U.S.? Well, based on the Wilshire Index, the total value of all the stocks and I'm not going to say the full number here. It's oh, about, say the full number. Do the full number. <laughs> okay. If you can do it. 45 trillion, 109 billion, 950 million dollars. There we go. That is a crazy <laughs> amount of money. And yes, all those zeros, again, make it more than 45 trillion dollars. I mean, that that is just phenomenal. And it kind of puts other numbers in perspective. Again, we talk about the debt. Well, there's a lot of money yeah. on consumers' balance sheets at this time. And, and Chase, and I'll point out, too, that is just... The stocks on the Wilshire Index mm -hmm. does include real estate, does include other things as well. So when you now you start looking at that, like okay, forty-five trillion just in stocks, well that twenty-eight trillion in debt, well that's not that bad. Uh, and then we come up with the the, the total assets of people. I've not seen it lately, but I think it's now about one hundred and thirty trillion. I think yeah. is the number. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's huge. I mean, again, yeah. you talk about private businesses. That, that's not incorporated in there. And how many small businesses are there oh, that, yeah. that are worth, you know, even a million, two million dollars? I mean, you kind of extrapolate that across the country. I mean, that's how you get $130 trillion in assets across the country. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just again, to kind of consider, put things in perspective. You got, we always say when we, we talk about our numbers, a number means nothing at all unless you have something to compare it to. So think about that when you're worried about the government debt. And again, we don't like the level, but it's not this thing where, oh, everything's going to blow up because the assets in the consumer. And we didn't even touch upon the assets of the government. We've yeah. talked about the government assets could be $200 trillion, depending on how you value oil reserves and stuff of that nature. Oil reserves, and again, you look at a lot of the buildings they own. Yeah. I think there was one time you looked at like a building. I'm just going to say, I don't remember if it was in Oceanside or maybe it was Camp Pendleton, but you're talking beachfront property, and they, they had like... And again, this is an exact number. But they had devalued it to like $100,000. Right, and it's yeah. like, oh, that's, that's worth a lot more. Because yeah, they're valuing it the book value, what they paid for Depreciating it. Depreciating it. Yeah, yeah. Not, not the current market value. So th- th- there's a lot of things that I, I think people miss the boat on and uh, that we are okay. We're not going to fold tomorrow. And sometimes it feels that way. Oh, I hate the president. He's doing this. It's like we've had presidents over the years that we've hated and so forth. When you look at the numbers of the United States, uh, we're still a darn strong comp- uh, country. So the only thing that, that con- continues to worry me about the debt mm-hmm. is I don't want to have a 19... 19- I think that the, the most nerve-wracking thing about where we are right now is not so much recession, but uh, runaway inflation. That That's right. what worries me about. If we continue to spend too much, if we can kind of tame down and tamper down that spending, I, I think we'll be okay and we won't have inflation that's out of control. Right. Well, And, and one thing that is, is too much money chasing too few goods. Yeah. And and one thing I, I won't give too much because I'll be talking about this on KSI tomorrow morning, but uh, is about we need more legal immigration yeah. because it, it, that's what's going to come because we don't have enough people to fill the job. So uh, people want to hear what that is, tune in to uh, KSI tomorrow morning at 840. Yeah, and we talked about that a little bit last week with the baby boomers retiring. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah. We need to replace those jobs. Yep, exactly. And actually, we are a land of immigrants. I, I read something that we're about 30% uh, of immigrants is, is where we've come from. So doesn't surprise me I yeah. mean, considering yeah. <laughs> the colonies years ago back in 1776 yeah. when we so, started <laughs> and, and you know and, and at the end here I just want to close on the stocks of 45 trillion dollars I'm not gonna do the whole number I made you do I'm not gonna do it. 45 trillion dollars um, so you know my thing is if you don't hold stocks maybe it's time to consider investing I mean uh, I will caution you to invest in quality equities at reasonable prices and stay away from the hype investing which unfortunately some younger people are getting into but investing does work. You're owning small pieces of large companies and give it time and like, wow, I have a pretty good net worth because I've invested properly for 20, 30 years. So that's what we're going to talk about. So, yep. well, I don't know about you, but uh, I cannot wait to celebrate the 4th of July uh, tomorrow, actually, uh, after last year's quiet holiday. Like, a, was it 4th of July last year? Do we even have one? I, I think I, I think I let one fire crack. I'm not sure. Uh, it appears I'm, I'm not alone. It's more than 47 million people. Uh, are estimated to travel between July 1st and July 5th. This will bring us back to the pre-pandemic levels. Uh, driving uh, will still be the preferred choice for travelers as 91% or 43.6 million will drive to the destination. Uh, you know, and Chase, I look on the road today and over the weekend, like we have traffic jams again. And I and I, I, I know we're going down to, uh, to uh, Fox 5 for the big boom uh, celebration uh, tomorrow. I was thinking, do we need to get there early because of traffic? I yeah. think it's going to be a lot of people going out. 
I, I think it's going to be huge. I mean, if you look at the, the amount of people driving, and again, it just seems like all week. I was like, gosh, I'm sitting in traffic to get to work. I'm like, what is this? I yeah. haven't seen this in years. <laughs> Can we have COVID back? Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, we don't want that. <laughs> no. But uh, looking, the amount of people driving, and to reiterate that number, it's 43.6 million people. That would actually be a record. And in fact, it's 5% higher than the 2019 record. And I, I'm sorry, I, I see these things on, you know, email and, and different uh, kind of financial um, websites and stuff. And it's like, oh, Scott Goldlieb and, you know, Fauci and these other people say it's okay to celebrate Fourth of July. I'm like, yeah, it's okay to celebrate Fourth of July this year. <laughs> and who is that again you're talking about? Uh, yeah. Fauci? Fu- 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 What's his name? <laughs> I didn't even know that guy. He's, he's, he's a guy of the past, basically. But, uh, you know, that is a huge increase. And again, people, I think, were cooped up for so long, they're ready to get back on the road, and that's what we're seeing. But it's not just people driving. There will actually still be 3.5 million people flying, which is an increase of 164% over last year. <laughs> and again, I want to point out, last year's numbers were very, very <laughs> subdued. People didn't celebrate Fourth of July for the most part last year. So that is still just a positive to see that kind of appreciation and to see that people are comfortable to fly again, right. see that people are comfortable, hey, to go to barbecues and actually get together. And again, when you get together, hey, you're driving on the road, which means, oh, the gas pumps could be climbing. Yeah, yeah, and they are going to be climbing. Gas prices have now jumped to a seven-year high, and as of Monday, they stood at $3.09 a gallon nationwide, which compares to the number last year of $2.17 per gallon on the same day. <laughs> I, you know, I sure wish we were paying three dollars and nine cents in San Diego, though, because it just like San Diego is just like well, we're at four twenty, I think it is. Uh, gosh, yeah, it's about four twenty. I think when I looked at it two days ago, I think it was four twenty seven, four twenty nine. Right, and I don't want to ruin our post for next week. I usually do that. I'm not gonna do it yeah. today, but we've got a great post coming up next week about uh, where California ranks as far as the price of gas, and then the next what three behind us where they yeah. stand. Yeah. And so. and not even where we rank. Everybody knows we have the highest gas, yeah. but by how much is the thing <laughs> that you gotta look at this post. It is, it is just mind blowing. When are we gonna do that? Number. We're not gonna do it Monday. Monday's a holiday. We're not I gonna work we, on Monday, are we? Yeah, we're taking that day off. Yeah. So Tuesday, maybe let's try to do that on Tuesday for people. And I was gonna say I, I remember I was trying to think, I was like, what did I do last Fourth of July? I went to Arizona because Arizona was more open. Oh, so I went to right. I did celebrate Fourth of July last year. And I remember driving out there, I stopped in Yuma for gas. And I remember because I, I shop at Vons and um, you get when you go to Chevron, you get a discount on gas. Right. Well, with my discount, I remember I paid 99 cents a gallon <laughs> at the gas station. I took a picture and sent it to you. So you believed me. But yeah. it's like, gosh, what a far cry we are from that today. <laughs> you, know? you know, and Chase, and I tell people the, the post and so forth. I, I think I let, need to let people know that, yeah, if you want to follow us on Facebook, uh, you can go to Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Also, too, on LinkedIn, just Brent Wilsey. Uh, also on Instagram. I guess we're doing more on Instagram now with a new marketing person. Yep. Yeah. So you can find us there. Just put in, actually put on my name, Chase's name, Smart Investing. We'll, we'll come up and and just, uh, you know, ask to be a friend. Or a- actually with the um, the the ones that we do, because my friendships, I know I'm at 5,000, so I'm getting more there. But uh, with the Smart Investing group, I guess mm-hmm. it's a group page. That's what it is. Yep. Uh, we can have as many as we want. So and it's just, you know, we, we do a couple posts a day for you and, and kind of keep you in tune to what's going on and give you our opinions. And uh, we do comment back to people as well when they have good comments. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So, 
I think we're all done talking about things. I, I forgot to mention about the, the the phone numbers that people call in. So uh, phone numbers here. You want to join the show? Got a question? I saw that you're looking at buying, selling, or holding. Uh, Give us a call at 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And as always, that'll get you through for your unbiased, no-strings-attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. And Chase, what I can talk about right now, because I can't believe it's coming up again, uh, is we have another workshop coming up on July 22nd. Uh, it is going to be at our office in Scripps Ranch. I think the social distancing thing is no longer a, a thing of importance. Uh, we still have a limit uh, of people there, but uh, you're going to learn why value investing works best long term, uh, why financial advising, uh, why financial analysis can reduce your emotional long term roller coaster. And this is something that people get you off the track. If you get on track with the rate investing of using the fundamentals, you don't get so emotional. You don't sell out when you should be buying and buying when you should be selling and how we build our portfolios to weather all kinds of markets. It is a free workshop, but again, seating is limited. You can go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can also call the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And I think you said that was updated on the website. It is updated, it is, yes. Okay, good, good. Okay, yeah, because I want to make sure it was updated from the last one. Uh, and, and again, sitting is limited. We had a great workshop last week, uh, last week, two weeks ago, two yeah, weeks ago, two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah two weeks ago. Uh, just love doing them. And, and, and people learn a lot from them. Um, and we're looking forward to going back to our office, uh, where it's a little more, I guess I'll say intimate where it's a little more intimate. Uh, there's not as outside noise, it's a very yeah. controlled environment. And I'm going to put you on the spot here. Sure. Uh oh. Wait, I'm not very quick this morning. I'm, oh, I told you I'm throwing right. off with my microphone here. So <laughs> We used to get some wraps and some cookies and, you know. Oh, you put me in the spot. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think, I, not that you come for the wraps, but hey, right. it's a nice little added bonus for you. Oh, we do. I this. literally thought when you said wraps, I thought you guys were going to throw Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah. I, I, I can't rap. I, I'm not very good at that stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's about all I got. Um, but no, I, I, I uh, yeah, because it is six o'clock is when we yeah. do it. So we do want to have uh, some, you know, it's not, uh, I guess they're called heavy appetizers. You know, it's not like celery and carrots, <laughs> but it's not a full meal for you. It's enough so that you can, you know. And we get these chocolate chip cookies. Oh my gosh, they're so good. You know, but I want to guarantee them. People come, they eat the chocolate, chocolate chip cookies. Because if they don't, we eat them. Yeah. And then it's like, damn, why do I gain five pounds here? Because you had all the cookies from the workshop. <laughs> so please, if you come, eat those chocolate chip cookies. And they're, they're the ones from Costco. They're very yeah. Good. yeah, yeah. And I, I wasn't going to give away our secret, but I guess we can give a shout out to Costco there. I, yeah. I was going to tell people I made them. Well. No. <laughs> but uh, the thing, too, I'm excited about is this is our first workshop back in the office since February yeah. 2020. So it's been about a year, almost a year and a half now. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's why I didn't think about that way. Yeah, because I I hope we do things right because it just uh, you know how we get things set up and I, we'll be fine. But yeah, it, it's we'll just, be yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be like riding a bike. We'll just get back on and it'll be good to go. Yep, yep. Uh, now do we have Facebook? Up? Uh, is Facebook up and running? No. Yeah, Facebook? it's up and running. It's up and running. Okay. Yeah. Uh, phone number is eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. Actually, all phone lines are open, so if you call in, you'll be the first one in. Let's talk about solar, uh, because putting solar in your home, you know, we all know it's a big thing right now. It's cost-effective and so forth, uh, good for the environment. But I was kind of disappointed when I learned that, uh, unfortunately, only 15% of the solar panels 
come from here, manufactured in the U.S. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, if you look at the numbers, of course, 15%. This obviously means that 85% is made overseas, which means our dollars are flowing out of the country, which is not good for sustainable long-term growth. And again, I'm going to attribute part of that to the, the, the labor shortage, yeah. labor crunch that we're having. It's hard to continue to manufacture solar panels mm-hmm. if you don't have people to do it. So, yeah. But it is an important t- subject that we bring up, and a lot of it comes from China, unfortunately. Um, so they're, yeah, we'll, we'll make them for you. Yeah. We'll make them for you. <laughs> and they're getting all our dollars over there. So, you know, it, it's something that, as you said, it's good for the environment. It's it's good for the consumers. I mean, my house has solar that I rent. I love it. I haven't paid an electric bill in all right, stop right long time. I don't have solar. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, but you know, again, you talk about the, the, the job situation. Uh, I was watching uh, Business News the other day, and uh, they're talking about uh, fireworks. And they said there's a shortage of fireworks. And the gentleman said, he goes, well, the fireworks have been made, but they're sitting on a ship, I guess, in China, and they can't get them over here because there's no one to unload those fireworks when they come. So, I mean, there's, it's not just waiters and waitresses. I mean, it is manufacturing jobs. It's trucking jobs. Truck, truck drivers, they need truck drivers. I mean, there's so many jobs that are, that are out there that are good-paying jobs. Well, you talk about the truck driver shortage. That that's also what's carrying over into gas pump prices because they oh, can't yeah. get the gas properly. I'm going to say allocated across the country. They, they they just can't move that gasoline. I say it here. Well, uh, I'm sure pipelines would help with that a little bit. But hey, <laughs> what do I know? Um, but the thing too is there's been some issues with the uh, gases uh, gas stations running out of gas, and there's actually one that right by my house, and I drive by. It's like, gosh, it's out of gas again. It's the it, it's right off. Uh, what is that road there? Uh, Bernardo Center Drive, I think it is. Yeah. Is it that that? Uh, There's an Exxon right there. Oh, the Exxon. Yeah. So, but it, it's I've gone there two or three times now, and I'm like, out of gas I, again? Really? Yeah. And you, you actually see that there's some places that that just don't have the supply of gasoline. So that's another issue that that of course is a reason for are high, high gas prices across this country. Because if you can't put it there, it has a big impact on supply, which low supply generally increases the price. Yep, exactly. All right, so I see calls uh, starting to come in here. So let's go go to the phones. Let's go to San Diego and speak with Tim. Tim, you're on the Smart Vegetable Written Chase. How can we help you? Morning, guys. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. I was wondering if you could look at Coinbase. It's kind of a crypto wallet similar to like a Robinhood for cryptocurrencies where people do transactions and they just had a IPO recently and then it's fallen back down. So I was just wondering what the fundamentals behind it were. Okay. And do you hold that or looking to buy it? No, I was looking to possibly get into it kind of like the gold rush thing, not trying to find the gold, trying to find, you know, everything that <laughs> all the gold miners use. <laughs> that That's the way to do it. I like that. Now, do, you, do you know how they make their money there, Tim? I mean, I know that they're, as you said, kind of a platform, but do they take a portion of the bitcoins you know banks or mm-hmm. like schwabs and you know uh, other big custodians they make their money by kind of holding assets and then loaning out those assets you know how coinbase makes money from what i know it's basically they take a percentage of each transaction so similar to like an atm fee um and they they don't offer like free transactions like Robinhood does for trading so every time you trade in or out of the bitcoin or whatever particular crypto you're trading they take a percentage of that trade in order to make money 
And, and that's what I understood as well. One thing I liked about it is that whether uh, Bitcoin goes up or down, if people trade it, they still make money. Which, and I do think the fees were kind of high. I, I, I want to say they're like two or three percent of something crazy, I, I believe. But I, I could be wrong on that. But let's take a look at the fundamentals here on Coinbase Global, symbol is C-O-I-N. Uh, not a great start here, Tim. The P-E ratio is 103 versus 12.3. That's pretty expensive. Also expensive is the price to sales, 17.4 versus 2.5. Price to book value, 22 versus 3. And then price to cash flow is 9.2. I'm sorry. Price to cash flow is 64 versus 9.1. Now, their sales, no surprise here, are up 338%. Industry only up 2.2. Earnings per share for Coinbase did climb by 2,000. 468 the industry is only up 92 what i like to see here is that coinbase has a very clean balance sheet they got a current ratio of 1.2 versus 1.3 no debt so debt to equity is zero versus 213 for the industry unfortunately i don't see any equity here their assets uh, are exceeded by the liabilities unfortunately but a nice profit margin 36.8 versus 20.8 and no receivable or inventory turnover chase any earnings going forward for coinbase yeah looking at coinbase here and again their ticker symbol is coin i like the i like the ticker symbol easy to remember oh very easy, very easy yes. <laughs> <laughs> but a current price for coinbase 240 dollars 72 cents I, I see a 52 week low of 208 dollars and then the 52 week high as you said there tim quite high at 429 dollars and 54 cents now, if I look forward, I, I kind of surprised you. They are estimated make a profit. I'm going to 2022. The average estimate, though, just four dollars and ninety cents. Would give us a target sell price of eighty-one dollars and thirty-four cents. So, I think there's just a lot of hype into this yeah. company at the IPO, and you know, it could kind of fizzle out here a little bit, and then maybe go higher. But uh, I, I think it's just something that I wouldn't be interested in buying, especially if you look at the low estimate compared to the high estimate. Get this. I think this is the Highest discrepancy I've ever seen, <laughs> even between energy companies. Really? The low estimate is a loss of $5.23, and right. the high estimate is $12.10 positive. I mean, that's I, a huge discrepancy. I, I agree with that. Because we had one last week was kind of high, but it wasn't that high. And it, it's just amazing. And, and the thing that I have a hard time understanding with Coinbase and cryptocurrencies for that matter is I thought the whole idea of cryptocurrency was to you know hold the asset. Well, can't you just buy Bitcoin directly? Like, isn't that... The whole allure of it so you get your bitcoin in your wallet and i mean i guess this you can trade them much easier right but then there's no functionality to the cryptocurrency i mean it it just i mean the cryptocurrency market is it's crazy to me it, it is kind of crazy and i, and I do uh, uh, we don't follow bitcoin it's not like oh we're gonna invest in it and so forth but i i have been hearing more people saying they're predicting bitcoin's gonna fall to twenty five thousand dollars now, who's going to benefit from this is the Coinbase's yeah. because people are going to start getting out of it. Now, the, the trading thing, it, yeah. <laughs> trading it. Getting out, getting out, getting out. But the problem is, will it come back or will it go further and then the interest will go down? Uh, that's what I don't like about it. I'm still not convinced that Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency is going to be around for, for forever. Um, yeah. I, I think it is going to be a thing of the past um, sometime in the near future. And uh, But cryptocurrencies, I don't want people to say, oh, he doesn't like them. Cryptocurrencies will be around in a different form. They're here to stay, but I just don't think these popular ones in Dogecoin and Bitcoin. I mean, Ethereum, they're just, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're just hot today. With that said, though, well, and my feeling is that the governments are going to come out with cryptocurrency, which will wipe off <laughs> the private stuff there, uh, which would not benefit a Coinbase. Yeah. So that, that's what worries me. I, I think short term, you've got something there. Well, it but. could. Maybe Coinbase is the, the new bank of the future, so to speak. And if it is, a, I, I'm not saying it will be, right. but 
It, the point here, Tim, is it's it's very speculative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. They you can make purchases out of it. It's kind of like similar to a wallet. Yeah. But I was just wondering if the shininess of the IPO is worn off, and obviously it has not worn off enough to warrant a buy. So I appreciate the fundamentals, guys. Have a great day. Are right, you, Tim? Thanks for calling. Bye. 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 All right, that does open the phone line eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six. Five seven seven two four seven three Chase. Okay. Oh, turn the mic around there, but I, I just, I, I still just don't get it. I mean, you know, what? I'm just sitting here thinking, I'm like, okay, well, why don't you just buy Bitcoin directly? There's no fees there, isn't that the whole idea? And then you know, I know a lot of people use Coinbase. Well, I, I just, I don't know. We we it would is. have to do some research in that to find out, and I just don't think it's worth the research. Um, I mean, Bitcoin is just something that uh, it goes up and down and. Here, yeah. Here's something else that I find interesting, and I, I didn't read the full headline, but there was a guy that passed away, I guess, that was a huge Bitcoin advocate. I guess they can't get their inheritance because it's locked away in Bitcoin. Well, that's a good point, because I, if yeah. no one knows what his password was, sorry, you you have $10 million of Bitcoin, but we don't have the password. Yeah. <laughs> so, And I, I, as I said, I, don't, I didn't read the full article, but right. it did make me think, well, that is a good point. What happens when you pass away? And what if you, you didn't share that password? It's like, wow, you have a few million dollars. Oh, and nobody to contact to get that. And you know what worries me a little bit too about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is, I'll, I'll pick on Bitcoin here, is that uh, what if it stays around, we'll say between twenty five and 35000 for the next six, nine months? Will people lose interest because it didn't have that big boom up to what was it? I think the peak was like sixty four. Yeah. yeah, sixty. I think it was over 64, sixty. Yeah. Well, it's not exciting anymore, and then people just kind of move on to the next thing. I, 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 you know, that's what worries me. That's what, what's hot does not stay hot forever. Yeah. And and that's where I think people lose money is that eventually it's not going to be hot, and if it kind of languishes between twenty five and thirty five, because it isn't the big thing when it goes up. Like, oh yeah, it's up again. Oh, it's up again. That's that, that was exciting. But now, like, yeah, it's down to thirty-two thousand. Yeah, it's up to thirty-four thousand. It's like they don't even talk about it as much anymore. Well, it, it does seem like for the last month or two, it's it just kind of been like I remember when it fell down to thirty thousand. People were like, oh, buying opportunity, buying. And then you're right; it just seems like it's gone from thirty thousand yeah. up to thirty-four, maybe thirty-five thousand. If you right. want to get real excited about it, but it, it yeah, it's kind of languished. And I yeah. I do wonder, as you said, is it going to start to lose that that allure of the traders of wow, I can get rich by trading yeah. Bitcoin. It's going to go to a million dollars per Bitcoin. I'm going to be so rich. <laughs> I I just I I don't know. I think if it starts to lose that shininess, as kind of Tim put it, right? I, I don't know how it it's going to impact cryptos overall. Could be tarnished, is what it could be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and what it is too is that people they think they can make big money off it, and if you're only going to make a you know you bite it. Thirty thousand, it goes to thirty-three thousand. Well, that's only ten percent. That's not very good. <laughs> that's a great point. We talk about doing eight to ten percent on average per, per year. year. And, I know. You know that that's a good expectation when you're investing in good quality stocks. But people that are trading cryptos are like, well, I think I can make a hundred percent per year. Yeah. And if you you even make, I'm not going to say this is going to happen for you, but you're right. If you made ten percent per year, ah, well, that's not very <laughs> exciting to those crypto traders. Yeah, they're going to move on and find some other crazy thing. All right, phone numbers here, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. But before we go back to the phones, let's talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? 
Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. I know this morning we're talking about why Roth conversions don't always make sense. And I've said this before, but I want to hear your your thoughts on that. And by the way, you're in Arizona today, right? That's right. I'm uh, I'm out of town again. I'm in Arizona. I'm about to go to the lake today. <laughs> oh, the lake. That sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the Roth conversions here. Yeah, so I was trying to come up with something. I mean, I'm a big fan of 4th of July tomorrow. So what could be more patriotic than hating taxes? <laughs> yeah, I like that one. <laughs> so whenever you do a Roth conversion, the whole idea is you're trying to do something to avoid paying taxes. So I met with a couple a couple days ago, and they're retired. They are in the 12% tax bracket. Um, their RMDs have not started yet, and their income is coming from IRAs, Social Security, and then they also had some capital gains. So that's what their income sources are. So usually when you find somebody that's in the 12% bracket um, in retirement, they're a prime candidate for Roth conversions because you can take money out of the IRA, put it in the Roth, only pay 12% on that, and then avoid higher taxes when those RMDs do start. However, you have to really understand how taxes work because in their situation, it absolutely did not make sense, and this is why. If we converted anything from an IRA to a Roth, yes, it's ordinary income, that would be taxed at 12%, but that would also mean that some of their capital gains would be pushed from the 0% bracket up to the 15% bracket. So now, we're not paying 12% on that conversion, we're really paying 12 plus 15% on the capital gain rate, so now our marginal rate is 27% on that conversion. Then, on top of that, the way Social Security is taxed is it's dependent on something called your provisional income. And your provisional income is half of the Social Security received plus all of your other income sources. And so the higher that is, the more of your Social Security is taxable. So by converting money from an IRA to a Roth, and that then means more of their Social Security is going to be taxable. So that means they have to realize more ordinary income, which pushes even more capital gains into the 15% bracket. So it turns out that even though they're in the 12% tax bracket, they would have to end up paying about 34% on that conversion because of the capital gain and Social Security um, implications. And so this is a, a good example I wanted to talk about because you really have to understand how taxes work in order to not pay them. <laughs> right. And and it's so true, and, and I assume you're talking the effective tax break, uh, bracket, not the marginal, when you're talking about the, the, the brackets there? Or are you talking marginal? This, well, it's it's they're in the 12% the, the bracket, so that's okay. their marginal tax rate. Okay. They happen to be in the state of Washington, so there's no state tax there. Um, but because of the way capital gains are taxed and the way that Social Security is taxed, they're still in that 12% marginal rate, but because of the tax implications of the other, other moving parts, it's really like a 34% rate. They're not in a 34% bracket, but it, it, it's equivalent to that because of how the tax and, system works. And this is why it's so important because a lot of people, and, and I've even heard tax people, oh yeah, it's just much better because tax-free is always better than tax-deferred. But that's not the case. And it, you can hear how complicated it is. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the, the big thing, and I, I remember when I played football, my coach always used to say, look at the big picture. Don't just mm. look at one particular guy on the field. You're, you're going to miss everything that's flying by. You have to look at the big picture. And that's exactly kind of what you're talking about here, Harrison. You, you look and say, well, the Roth pays. I don't have to pay any taxes when I take it out. That's a singular item. But when you look at the big picture, that could completely be the wrong thing. And, and the other thing Absolutely. Too, that, that I uh, knew years ago, and I said you got to check other things as well, which is a financial planner you do, 
is that people may have a lot of deductions that they can take that can offset their distributions from the IRA, but they convert to the Roth. Well, now those deductions are just lost because you can't offset them against the Roth income because it's tax-free. So you got to look at the whole picture, not just, oh, tax-free versus tax-deferred. And I, I'm going to put yeah. you on the I'm going to put you on the spot here, Harrison. You're doing a lot today. Yeah, I know. Harrison, gosh, you're dangerous today. (laughs) Yeah, it's 4th of July. I'm I'm so excited. (laughs) But uh, I sent you an article yesterday about um, some concerns over Roths, and I I think it'd be perhaps a great topic uh, for next week, but kind of giving away a little bit is Peter Thiel, uh, who is, you know, PayPal, and that's his kind of big claim to fame, but big in the tech realm. They're kind of going after him because he has a ton of money in Roth IRAs, and they're saying this is what's wrong with Roth IRAs. Mm. So I think it'd be interesting to maybe talk a little bit more about the downsides of Roth perhaps next week. And I've talked about that many times in the past because I'm saying down the road, I you're giving it away. You're giving away oh. the topic for next. Okay, week. Harrison, what else, what else we got? <laughs> <laughs> what's my thing? I came up with years ago. I want to <laughs> say it, but okay, we'll save it for next week. Sorry, sorry, folks. <laughs> yeah, we. <laughs> Yeah, I I think I saw that article, but yeah, we can talk a little bit more about that next week. That's that would be a good topic. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you had something new there, Chase. I'm sorry. Okay, so no, there. Yeah, it's 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 kind of a similar concept. Yeah, I I got yeah. So, but it is very important to to look at the whole thing. So you you tease. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, Harrison, thing is you got to understand the big picture with it, and you know the Roth is. I talk to people all the time that are really excited about Roth, and a lot of cases they make sense, but you have to know why, and in some cases they don't make sense. So. You know, it, it comes back to that big picture. And again, another reason why you're on a salary, you don't charge commissions, you don't, you know, get paid for selling product. You're really a true financial planner to look at these things to say what is best for you tax-wise. And it's not always, oh, definitely go to tax-free Roth. It may not be the best thing. You got to sit down. And, and I think you said before, I mean, your first consultation when you, when you sit down with somebody, uh, how long is it usually, I think you told me? Um, it usually takes about an hour. Um, okay. And so I, you know, I learn more about the person's situation. I kind of explain what I would look at, how I can help. Um, and then it goes from there. So yeah, usually about an hour or so. Okay. Yeah. I, I just make sure of that because I know it wasn't a quick thing. It, it took you a long time to kind of learn their situation and so forth. So, well, good. Well, I, you're going to late today, you said, right? Yes, sir. All right. Well, have a good time. We'll see you not Monday. You're off on Monday. We'll see you on Tuesday. Have a good one. That's that sounds good, guys. We'll see you Tuesday. Okay. Bye-bye. Again, as Harrison Johnson. He's our CFP, our financial planner at our office, Wilsey Asset Management. If you want a free consultation with him, give the office a call at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. You can go to the website as well uh, and just contact him by email at the website and learn more about him there as well, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smart investing. 2000.com. All right, let's go back to our phones here. You want to call in here? Uh, actually, we got, a, I think, all lines booked up. No, we got a couple open. 866 577 2473. That's 866 577 2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Vessel, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, hi Brent Chase. Uh, I'm just interested in what you think about Morgan Stanley right now, how they said. Okay. Uh, let's take a look at Morgan Stanley. Their symbol is MS, and it's kind of funny. They're, they're kind of considered an investment bank is, is kind of what they're they're considered. So we're going to look at the numbers here on that to see what they look like. Uh, good start here, Jim. The P-E ratio, 12.1 versus 14.8. Price of sales, 3. That's slightly above the industry at 2.6. Price of 
price to tangible book value is 2.1 below the industry at 2.5 and price of cash flow checks in at 10 well below the industry at 26 so i like the valuation ratios they pay a 1.5 percent dividend i would like to see them increase that dividend i mean they're only using 18 percent of their earnings to pay that out i think they get a better dividend if they raised it uh maybe use 25 percent got up to maybe two and a half we do see their sales were up 8.3 percent year over year better in the industry up 6.3 Earnings per share climbed by 58% above the industry of 54. So those are great earnings growth for the industry and the company as well. They're a financial company, so no current ratio. Debt to equity, 566 versus 158. That's high. But again, I know they do a lot of financing, different things there. So you really got to understand their balance sheet uh, more to see if that's good or bad. Return on equity looks okay, 14.7 versus 14.9. Net profit margin, 23.9 versus 17.8. And receivable turnover is 0.6 versus 0.74. Chase, what do you got for the earnings going forward? Before I get into that, I, I do believe that Morgan Stanley had, I'm going to say, the best capital return plan of any of the major banks. Really? Yes. I think they they didn't really cut their dividend, or I don't even know if they cut their dividend during COVID. They, I believe they maintained it, and they announced a 100% increase to that dividend yeah. after the capital allocation um announcements there and, and i gotta say they're more of in my opinion more of a brokerage firm yeah. than a bank I mean, they're, they're yeah yeah you don't yeah you don't really hear about them too much i mean compared to other banks or and, and what maybe in certain circles only i don't know yeah it, it is interesting kind of how they are classified more with the big banks than Ameri you know lynch. like a charles charles schwab or charles schwab. A, you know merrill lynch but i know merrill lynch is part of bank of america so i, I know we seem as a competitor to our firm yeah you know so but yeah but they are considered a big bank but I will say, again, that's a pretty impressive increase to that dividend. I know I think they were up the most after the yeah. capital allocation plan. So yeah. interesting. Uh, I, I'm curious more. I, I think you went over the trailing yield. I'm curious what now the forward yield is. I guess you could just double it. <laughs> yeah, because that, yeah, that, that, that was mine. was the 12, uh, last 12 months. So maybe it is going up. Good. Yeah. So uh, yeah. that's an important thing to kind of look at as an investor. But looking at the cu current price here for Morgan Stanley, again, ticker symbol is MS, $92.03. 52-week high here, right near that, at $94.27. And wow, well off the 52-week low of $45.86. If I go up to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $7.04 would give us a target sell price of $116.86. So, I mean, off the current price of $92.03, that looks pretty good. I, I'm going to see here if that is enough to actually give us a 30% margin of safety. It's about 27%. So, so it's, it's close it there. Yeah. But okay. uh, And you know, if I was going to be looking at buying Morgan Stanley, I want to know a breakdown of where the revenue is coming from. Yes. Does it come from the brokerage side or the bank side? Um, because we have taken a number of accounts from Morgan Stanley to, at our firm because we've seen what their brokers do and they're just, I, I'm going to say this, they're just salespeople. Yeah. That, oh, know, all right. Yeah, so, but again, is that a big part of their, their thing? Is it, you know, Where's the revenue coming from on Morgan Stanley as a whole? They are considered a big bank, so I, they, they must have at least a certain percent to do that. Or they, they do the kind of investment banking as well, where people oftentimes think that's yeah. financial advising, but in reality that's in advising you know big firms about IPOs yeah. and, and kind of working with those bigger companies. So, I mean, they could have different revenue streams. I'm, I'm just not familiar enough with Morgan Stanley to tell you where that revenue right. comes from. Yeah. Okay, and, that's and, interesting. And, Jim, I thought, do you hold it? You're looking at buying it. No, we'll just be looking to buy it. Yeah. yeah. So, so those are questions I'd want to have answered before I uh, jumped into it. Where does the revenue come from, and how is it going to come from? Okay. Are ready? Okay. Thanks very much, guys. Okay.
Okay, Jim, thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I believe they just bought, didn't they buy Eaton Vance or a big mutual fund company? You know, I think you're right. Uh, I forget Did who it was. Did they buy E-Trade? Um, oh, no, no, because, uh, uh, yeah, I think it was E-Trade I heard um, is who they bought. Yeah. yeah. So, so they, again, that's more on the broker side. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I, you, and this is so important when you're investing in something. You don't want to say, well, I don't know. You want to know. You want to look into to find out what it is. You find something? They bought both. <laughs> oh, well, there we go. He advanced any trade. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> so. And he advanced, I think they're they're the mutual fund company, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm wondering if it, and I, I'm pretty confident that Morgan Stanley used to have their own mutual funds. So I'm wondering if the Eaton Vance funds are now Morgan Stanley funds, probably. Yeah. yeah. So, all righty. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866 866- Five seven seven two four seven three. Let's head up to Fallbrook and speak with Levi. Levi, you're in the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, I wanted to touch a little bit on solar panels. Yes, yes. Now, uh, we said that it's renewable, but it has to be renewed. Just like everything else, like an alkaline battery, solar panels are finite. Therefore, they must be replaced. So your average lifespan on a solar panel is about 25 to 30 years. It's going to cost you between twenty and $25,000. There's a break-even point. You know, you get about $2,500 a year back. So after about eight years, you're going to break even. But then after between, like, say, 17 years, they're going to have to be replaced. But the problem is, is that these solar panels are loaded with heavy metals. You have silver, lead, arsenic, and cadmium. Now, some of those are more toxic than others. So therefore, it has to be stored like a like a canister of nuclear waste has to be stored, right? Mm-hmm. Now, it's like what we used to do with all the cathode ray tube TVs. Yeah, those were full of poisonous gases and whatnot, so they could not be broken. They're like shoved in a landfill. You know, they had to be stored in these non-dis- uh, non-destruction disposal sites. But what happens is that once they run out of funds, it's like the no-kill animal shelter. They send them to somewhere else some third world country where they do end up in a landfill and they get broken and they get cracked and these heavy metals seep into the ground, they get into the well water and stuff like that. So there is this hidden dark side that it's not as clean as everybody proposes it to be. You know, I I never thought about that because I I just thought that you had them. They'd last forever. I didn't think they had a life to them. I think you said, what, 25 years? And then you're right. 25 to 30 if you're lucky. If you're lucky. And then, like, then you have to do something with that, uh, which you gotta bury it somewhere. And I was gonna ask Levi, but what do you do? I, I kind of yeah. had. Where's your your knowledge on this come from? Uh, I just watch stuff on YouTube and you know stuff like that, bit sheet, whatever. But I, I'm an artwork and picture framer by trade. I just love to read and study. And uh, I lived off grid for uh, four out of the last ten years in Shasta, California. I got 18 acres there, so I've always looked and researched it. And a couple years ago, I was in Siskiyou County, and a neighbor of mine who had been up there for 40 years, uh, he built a massive solar array. It was huge. So at that point in time, I wanted to build my own solar array, so I started doing research on it and came to discover that it's it's not 
as renewable as it is claimed to be because it actually needs to be renewed itself. Interesting. That's a great I'm trying point. to budget it into my plan uh, on my property myself. Right. And I don't have enough knowledge on it, but it sounds like you've done some research on it there, a lot of research on it. And then we've kind of talked about that with electric vehicles and the yeah. batteries and disposing of it. So I, I guess that's a great point. If the reno- renewables, how renewable are they really? <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. Well, yeah, you consider it, you know, your average rechargeable batteries are the nickel cadmium. Mm-hmm. But then we have our lithium ions. And again, the, there's only so much of that. Everything is finite. So they have these giant strip mines in like Chile and places like that. And they get this lithium ion. But again, if we want to be like SpaceX wants us to be and colonize Mars or something like that, we're going to need to hang on to this stuff. But instead, we're using it on you know, batteries that are the size of your cell phone. The battery alone is the size of your cell phone to go on a tablet so a toddler can watch YouTube. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then what happens? Then after a few years, it gets bricked, you know, by all these forced bloatware updates and whatnot, and then it starts running all slow and clunky, and it either gets tossed in the garbage when the kid cracks the screen, or if they don't crack the screen, you send it to the pawn shop or something, you know? Like, where is this stuff going to end up? Because, like, Again, how many charges do you get out of it? You know, you buy a DeWalt power tool and, you know, you have like, I think it's 20,000 cycles or 2,000 cycles on your DeWalt drill, how many times you can charge it before you have to buy a battery. Right. And it's the same deal. All heavy metals. Yeah, you bring up some some great points that uh, never thought about with the solar panels and so forth. So thank you for calling in. We really appreciate it because that's some some great Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah. Take care. All right. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we got about a two-minute break here, coming or a break coming up in two minutes. Yeah. But but again, you know, I always talk about critical thinking. I mean, what Levi says, you know, conceptually, yeah, it, it makes you think about well, what is happening here as opposed to saying, oh, that would never happen. Um, I never thought about that the solar panels would run out and all these batteries. I knew that was a situation, but everything produces something. I think always has some type of byproduct to it. That something down the road is going to happen. Yeah, and in this case, uh, I, I believe Levi, 25, 30 years. Wow. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great point because you look at like fossil fuels when they were created. It's uh, yeah. people didn't want to destroy the world or anything, and oh, now all of a sudden they destroy the world. It's terrible, right. and and I don't know. Like he brought up is, uh, I don't know enough about it. It sounds like Levi's done some some good research there, but you know, what if in twenty five thirty years, oh my gosh, solar panels are terrible. For <laughs> Levi. We're we're always living under crisis. That's right. Like. Yeah, that, that's life. Life is crisis. <laughs> Uh, but but one thing that may happen is that maybe oil and gas won't disappear. Maybe we'll have a combination of oil and gas and solar because once this comes out, as you know, Levi, you know, talked, more people see this. Like, well, wait a minute, that's going to be a problem. Uh, and this is what twenty twenty one. So maybe by twenty thirty, like, oh my gosh, we're going to have solar panels in in, in ten years. We're going to put all these solar panels yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all I, the trash from them. Yeah. <laughs> I do talk about back in the nineteen hundreds, they had a problem in the cities with all the horse manure that, that was being built up and they didn't, didn't know where to put it, you know? So it, things change and that's just part of life, but you gotta be ahead uh, of what is going on. And that's when it comes to investing, well, what should you be investing in? So I do wanna mention, we gotta uh, uh, take a uh, quick break here. Uh, Richard on Point Loma. Uh, also, we, we wanna address Jason on Facebook, uh, has a, a question. You wanna call in, phone number is 866-577-2473, that's 866 866- Five seven seven two four seven three. That'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. You'll be up right after the break, so stay with us. You are listening to Smart Investing Show with Brent and Chase. We'll be back.
Welcome back to the second half of the Smart Investing Show. Yes, phone lines are open. 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. That'll get you through again for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. With that said, let's head out to Point Loma and speak with Richard. Richard, you're on the Smart Investing Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Is Richard there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yep, we got there you now. Is. Yep, we got you. Um, especially chemical company that I think might have some um, future good results um, with infrastructure bill because they're they make specialty chemicals for wood products, for railroad ties and uh, utility poles, and um, so um, they seem to be very um, a value company. I'm just a little bit um, uncertain about their debt load and uh, whether I'm reading too much into the infrastructure bill. Okay, this is a Copper's Holdings, correct? Yes. Okay, well, let's take a look at the Copper's Holdings Incorporated, symbol KOP. Um, all right, we do see a, a, a great start here, Richard. PE ratio 6.1 versus 19.2. That's good. Wow, price of sales 0.4 versus 2.2. Now, unfortunately, price of tangible book value, not material, versus 193. And what worries me about that is that means if we take away all the intangible assets, there's no value to this company. That could be a concern. Price of cash flow is four versus 12.7, so that is good. Now we, we do see no no dividend yield here, so they don't pay a dividend. Their sales growth, not too good. I mean, it's, it's uh, one point, no, point seven versus, uh, well, a negative 0.9. So they're not growing their sales very good. However, earnings per share uh, were up 96%. The industry was down 11.2, but I do have to kind of question, wait a minute, how did you grow your, your earnings at 95% and sales only at 1%? That could be a value trap. I see what you mean about the debt level here. I do see a current ratio 2.4 versus 1.9. That's okay. But debt to equity 215 versus 49. And I want to go back to, again, point out that their assets, uh, they have a lot of intangible assets. So those could be written down. And if that's written down, the debt could rise even further, putting them in even a worse situation. Usually it's like 120, 130. I get kind of worried on the debt to equity, especially with this case. Uh, it's not strong uh, assets that they have, a lot of intangible assets. Return to equity looking very good, though. 47 versus 8. Net profit margin, 6.8 versus 11.4. And we do see receivable turnover is 9 versus 4.5. That's a positive. And inventory turnover looks pretty good as well, 4.5 versus 3.2. Chase? The current price here for Copper's holding 
It's $32.15. 52-week high, $39.44. And the 52-week low, well, that's $17.39. I go to December 2022. I do see estimated earnings per share of $4.84. Would give us a target sell price of $80.34. So, again, well off that current price of $32.15. I will point out it is a smaller company with a market cap of just $683 million. So normally I like to buy things at, at least about $2 billion is where we, we start to look at businesses. But the thing that does surprise me is there are five analysts. So that's pretty mm-hmm. good for a smaller company. But overall here, Richard, I, I, I think the debt is just too much for me to get over. Even though the values are quite strong, the values might be very strong because the balance sheet's so weak. And also the intangible assets as well. But but you do have to kind of check those because we do have a, a, a company or two that we bought over the years where they do have uh, high intangibles, but you have to understand those intangible assets. So that's one thing you got to do is look at the debt, look at the intangibles. Uh, it looks like it's worth the buy and worth the time, uh, but I just want to know those answers. Would, would patents be intangible? Patents would be intangibles. My guess normally when debt to equity is super high and the intangibles are very high is it it's likely stemming from goodwill which is coming from buying other businesses that's my best guess there without kind of doing the, the further research on it yeah and then you want to find out well, what they got for the, that business and stuff and yeah. is this something because you do have the famous uh, uh aol right down of what was that 98 billion dollars yeah, like 100 billion yeah. 100 billion from time warner which kind of really was a very heavy load for them, yeah. put it that way. So that's what you want to make sure of when you get in this company. Are they good intangibles? Are they, as Chase said, just high-rated goodwill that could be written down, especially with that much debt? They didn't have the debt. wouldn't be as important, but with that much debt, uh, you know, kind, yeah. kind of worrisome. So uh, I think it's worth the research, but I, I think, think I would steer clear of it with the debt, the debt that high. Yeah. I, it's just, I, and you might miss it, and it might, they might be able to resolve that balance sheet. It might get down to like 120%. And then that's what, oh, yeah. And, and you missed it, but it, you didn't buy something that could have big issues. Because 212%, if they're not able to kind of right-size that balance sheet right. and it continues to climb, then you could be stuck in something. Oh, gosh, now it's going down. And I know personally when things are have that high of debt, I just, it's not even worth the risk. Yeah. What do they do again, Richard? They they make uh, specialty chemicals that treat wood. So, like, if you build a deck and it's out of wood, you have to treat the wood. Mm-hmm. And uh, primarily why I got interested is because of railroad ties. Every railroad tie has a compound called creosote, mm-hmm. which protects it from rotting and termites and everything like that. And in the infrastructure bill, there's a big pot of money for uh, railroads. Really? And uh, – yeah, so that's why that's what drove me um, towards this company as possibly being a good investment. Hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with that said. I'm yeah, I, it's probably worth maybe a little research on it. But I, 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 no, I just don't like to buy the high debt companies. I like the product with their infrastructure rebuild. But uh, you may buy them and they're not here two years from now. So that's that's. Can, can I ask you one quick sure. question? Sure. Um, uh, I'm willing to um, concede, and I noticed that the debt level was high. But is the it, can you compare the debt level to what the the sales are? It, because it seems like it's not that the debt level is particularly outrageous; it's that the equity is so low. So when you do debt to equity, it looks terrible because the equity, um, the amount of equity is. Not very high, not because the debt's too high. You, you know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, and I, I just went to the uh, the balance sheet here and, and make sure this is uh, probably 48. That's a million, so that'd be $48 uh, million is what their debt is, which is down from $58 million, uh, a year ago. Uh, the equity is actually pretty good. The equity is $78 million, so they don't have low equity. They have high equity. And I, okay. I, I know what you're kind of looking at there, too, Richard, is I like to look at like debt to kind of cash flow, not so much debt to sales, because if they're not turning those sales into positive cash flow, then it's not going to do you any good. But right. with good cash flow, they could cover the, the interest payments and then you know perhaps cover that debt load down the road. I, I know that generally stems from asset light companies that – they kind of have not a lot of assets right. on the balance sheet, so they'll kind of borrow money from marketing, things of that nature, and they'll be able to pay that off with cash flow. But the problem I see with this right. company is can their cash flow cover those future liabilities? They might might be able to cover the interest, but let's say that debt comes due in three years. It's like, oh, gosh, now we're going to have to borrow even more debt, yeah. and you're kind of in this never-ending cycle. So um, that's why we like the debt to equity is it, it kind of shows that it can cover future liabilities with assets, not just rely solely on that cash flow. And I got I got to excuse myself here because I I, w- I, w- I was ready for the next caller and I was looking at the wrong balance sheet. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was like, wait, this doesn't look right. Uh, but the actual debt for KOP uh, was uh, let's see, eight hundred and ten million. Um, and I wanted to look at their good year, goodwill. That's why I saw something that looked right because their goodwill they had. Uh, where to go here? Uh, 297 million and 144 million in intangibles. So that's about uh, what 444 million. And let's look at their equity real quick. Yeah, their equity is 376 million. So it kind of tells you kind of a small company too. I uh, said it's about yeah. 600 million dollar market yeah, yeah, cap. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, you know, Richard, I'm kind of hesitating here because I, I I just don't think I'm trying to be nice to you and say yeah, it might be worth the research, but. I, I, I don't know. I think I'd rather find something else. Yeah, and I think there's okay. a lot of other infrastructure plays you can look at that, you know, you're not finding an excuse to buy it. You're, you're looking at it's, it's safe. And this one, honestly, with the valuation, so it might outperform it, but you just have to understand there's a lot more risk to it with that debt level. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Thank Already? you. Thanks a lot. Yeah. You're welcome, Richard. Have a good one. Thanks for calling. Bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-577. 2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go down to Chula Vista and speak with Michael. Michael, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brand Chase. How can we help you? Yes, uh, Walmart. Just give me your ideas on Walmart and whether or not it's a buy and what I should look out for if there's any issues. Okay, do you hold it or looking at buying it? I want to buy it. Okay. I, I, I've liked Walmart in the past, but they've been kind of pricey over the years. So I'm kind of curious to see if the earnings have now caught up with the evaluation. So coming again is Walmart, symbol is WMT. We do see a P ratio not that great, 32.6 versus 34.2. Price to sales, 0.7 versus 0.5. Price to book value, 7.9 versus 9.2. And price to cash flow is 16.7, well above the industry at 10.6. So valuation ratio is not a great deal for Walmart currently. We do say they pay a 1.6% dividend. They use 50% of their earnings to pay that out. Year over year, their sales are up 5.3%. Industry up only 2.8%. This is a surprise to me that their earnings per share fell by 18.2%, but the whole industry was down 24 Look at the balance sheet. Uh, current ratio of 0.95 versus 1. That's good. Debt to equity is 61.8 versus 84 Return on equity looking good for Walmart, 16.7 versus 13.7. Net profit margin, 2.2 
versus 1.6. And receivable turnover, very good. 104 versus 58. Inventory turnover, 9.6. About the same as this unit, 10.4. Chase, what about the earnings going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Walmart was $140.11. 52-week uh, high, $153.66. And 52-week low, well, that's $118.22. Now, if I go out to January 2023, I see estimated earnings per share of $6.25. Unfortunately, it gives a target sell price of $103.75. So it's below that current price there. And as Brent said, you're not getting a good deal on the valuations. The other thing that concerns me here is their earnings growth is quite subdued. And I mean, right now, the company is so large that their earnings growth is just looking to be about 4.7% uh, next year, which is, you know, you're not getting a great deal for the growth either. So, I mean, right. I, I just, I think Walmart, it's kind of like a Costco. I don't think Walmart's going to have a major pullback or anything right. like that. But I think over the next five, 10 years, you, you might average three, 4% on a Walmart. And my, Michael, Walmart's one of these companies that I, I have held it in the past. And I think, uh, I was trying to remember, I mean, I think I held it like 10, maybe 12 years ago. I think Walmart and Costco, these are companies that you want to buy when, everything kind of drops because they're not going to have a lot of growth to them. You're going to get, what, a three, no, not even a 1.6% dividend. It, I just think they're too pricey and you'll kind of be disappointed with the returns going forward. You want to buy these on a decent pullback, uh, these big companies like that. I remember a few years ago, Walmart actually, when they announced the minimum wage was increasing, Walmart fell tremendously on that news. And that was a great time to look at buying. I remember we did look at buying it, but then it snapped back. So we, we didn't miss it. But I, I just think it's one that you, you might be able to buy on negative news. But right now, I just don't see the future growth being that enticing. Yeah, and what, what concerns me on, on buying a Walmart now is you buy it now, and then five years from now, like the return was, you know, 2 or 3%. Yeah. So, already? Yeah, thanks. I appreciate God, you guys are unbelievable. But, uh, all right, well, thanks for calling, Michael. We appreciate it. Have a good one. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, that opens the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. I got to say, I normally go to Walmart every year to get my 4th of July shirt. And <laughs> I didn't do it this year. What? Because, yeah, well, it's I got, tomorrow. What I, I, got, I, I might have to because I ordered it online, and sure enough, I ordered <laughs> it and it said it'll be here July 2nd. Oh, no, no, it's going to be here July 5th. I don't have my shirt. I'm like, I should have gone to Walmart to get my shirt. I do it every year. I don't know why I changed it up. Well, I think you said that uh, your fiance is going to Target. Yeah, she doesn't like Walmart, so I, <laughs> I'm going to ask her if she hopefully finds good. I, I wanted to wear a nice Hawaiian American right. shirt. I think those are pretty cool. Right. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. And if she doesn't find anything good, I might have to make a trip to Walmart today. Yeah, or she might say, come on, buckle down, go to Walmart. I need that shirt. <laughs> uh, well, she hates Walmart, so I'm going to have to convince her to go, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know what? We, we didn't uh, – I, I forgot about Jason from Facebook, yeah. so, so let's uh, look at Jason. He uh, wants to know about what, – what's his uh, question? I don't even know how to pronounce this name. It's Fiserv, Fiserv, the ticker symbol is F-I-S-E-R-V. Is that the ticker? No, Frank, Ida, Shirley, Victor. Oh, sorry. It's F as in Frank, I as in, uh, what's that? India. S as in Scott, V as in Victor. Okay, yeah. And, this serve. Yeah. I serve. And I, I wanted to read his comment here. Because yeah, yeah, it, go, it, yeah it's, please. Uh, well, a little bit more to it, but he says, go Bucks, because the Milwaukee Bucks are in the, the playoffs right now for the <laughs> okay. NBA. 
Uh, he said, if you need a company to analyze, you could do a Fisserv. The Bucks play at Fisserv Forum. So that's the, mm. the stadium they play at, or the arena, I guess, for basketball. So it may not be a buy, but I did hear that every home game here in Milwaukee can bring up to $3 million of revenue to bars and restaurants and local companies. It says Wisconsin sports get our hopes up often, but just to know making it to the finals could bring in an additional $12 million is a nice thought. Anyways, let's take a look at Fisserv. And, and the thing that I think is interesting is, you know, you look at here in San Diego, we don't have any sports teams really other than the Padres that are doing right. great. And I think it's, it's interesting, and I'm getting a little off topic here, but when you look at the revenue that you bring in, oh, don't give any money to these big companies that want to come in or these big sports teams that come in, there often is a break-even for the cities that, that oh, yeah. allow these teams to come in. I mean, you talk about $12 million in revenue in just four nights or also the hotels and all the taxes yeah. that those hotels charge. So I, I think people need to start looking at that as another opportunity cost when your cities are looking at having a team come in. Well, what's the break even? It's not just, oh, we're giving these companies or we're giving these right. sports teams money and we don't want to do that. I think you got to look at the break even here. And I do remember, too, like uh, with the Super Bowl and other uh, uh, sporting events, they're nationally televised. And what they also do when they're going to the break, they'll, they'll pan out. Like here in San Diego, they'll show the coastline. And people are like, oh, well, I travel to San Diego. So the tourism in- industry as well. So it is – there's a benefit. And, again, you kind of got some numbers there. There is a benefit to have sports teams in your town, which I'm kind of disappointed that we lost our basketball team. <laughs> we lost our football team. Come on, San Diego. Let's get it together. Um, but it, it's just – there are a lot of benefits to it. Yeah. And I, I – I do think, of course, your team has to be good. <laughs> well, if your yeah. team's not good, you're not right. bringing the same revenue. So. Well, and actually, because the, uh, the Clippers were the San Diego basketball team, I guess oh, they're doing years fantastic. Ago. Well, yeah, but still yeah. doing great up in L.A., right? Yeah, I think they were actually made it pretty far in the playoffs. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's take a look. To, how you say it? I serve. I don't know. I'm guessing it's either Fisserv or Fisserv. Fiserv. Yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, I used to be a plumber many years ago. There, I think there is a plumbing, a company, you know, a, a manufacturer. Called Fisserv, um, I think I'll it's. Look up what they do. Yeah, hey, look what they do. Yeah, I'll, I'll go to the numbers here while you're doing that. Um, PE ratio 85 versus 63, both pretty high. Don't like seeing that. Uh, price of sales 4.9 versus 4.1. Yeah, uh, price of tangible book value not material, same as the industry. And price of cash flow, the only valuation that looks good is 17.9 versus 22.6. They do not pay a dividend. Their sales year over year are up 19.1 versus 5 for the industry. So that's a big positive. We do see uh, earnings per share. They were down 29% uh, year over year, but the industry was up 9.9. Uh, the balance sheet, uh, current ratio 1 versus 1.3. That's okay. Debt to equity 66 versus 72. Return to equity not very good. 2.7 versus 12.9. And then net profit margin 6 versus 6.4. Receivable turnover checks in at 5.7 versus 4.8. you find what this company does? Yeah, they actually are a fintech company, uh, provide payment and financial services technology worldwide. Boy, was I off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely not plumbing. Uh, but the one thing that I'll point out, I don't know if you've never noticed this company, it's called Clover. It's a point POS system or point of sale. Right. So when you go, that's how you kind of pay. So I, I like those companies generally because you get money every time they use that payment system. Right. So I was payment volumes increase, it, it generally benefits that business. So that's part of their acceptance segment. So I, I, I think it's a very interesting company. And also, I'm not saying go out and buy it here, but I'm going to give the valuations. It's It seems pretty reasonable. 
I'll tell you why. The current price here, $109.27. 52-week high is $127.34. And 52-week low, well, that's $92.15. But I got to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $6.42. And what gives the target sell price of $106.57? And it's below the current price. But right. I say it's reasonable because I've looked at other fintech companies like, wow, that's expensive. Yeah. This one seems to be a little bit more um, reasonable. And I, I, I'm not saying I would buy it here, but it could be one to watch. And maybe on a pullback, it could be a, a good opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I don't understand exactly what they do, which kind of worries me a little bit. That Payment know, solutions, payment it kind of seems and like. And that's just that one. You think it's getting kind of crowded, though? Payment solutions. You got uh, you got Square in there. Yeah. You got Clover. Brandon's in there. He's young. He's shaking his head. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Gonna, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I, but there's other segments to it too. So I, fintech. You know, I don't know. I I think it's it's interesting. Right. Uh, maybe worth the research on a pullback. Not but pullback. I I don't think I would buy it at 109. You just don't want to get into a crowded space with a lot of different companies because that just brings down prices. But but how many are there? I mean, how many big banks do we have? How many fintech True. companies could we have? So could we have? you know, it's yeah. How many restaurants do we have across this? There's a lot of crowded spaces out there. Yeah, that's, well, yeah. Well, restaurants actually, restaurants now are better, unfortunately, because of COVID. Yeah. I think they said they lost about ten percent of the restaurants, but this could be a positive for yeah. restaurants. So, all right, phone number is eight six six. Five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. Let's head out to San Marcos and speak with uh, Phil. Phil, you're on the Smart Investor, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey guys, um, I've been looking into uh, Jacobs Engineering and wanting to buy. And I've actually set a target level of about one hundred and thirty. Uh, just curious on your opinion on them. I know what they are like facility and engineering planning, almost like project managers for uh, government regulatory agencies. Just curious on your opinion on, the, on those guys. Are you okay. looking at it as a kind of infrastructure there played as well, Phil? Are they kind of benefit from that hypothetically? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, let's say it's uh, Jacobs Engineering Group Incorporated, symbol J. I'm very surprised that to get a one-letter symbol is... Shocked. Yeah, it's very <laughs> unusual. Um uh, okay, P.E. ratio, well, uh, 31. I thought it was 11. No, it's 31 versus 41. We do see price to sales, 1.3 versus 0.9. Price obtained in book value, not material for Jacobs Engineering, but the industry is at 15.7. And we do see price of cash flow is 25.2 versus 11.7. So the valuation ratio is looking at kind of high, uh, except for the uh, P.E. ratio. Uh, they pay a 0.6% dividend, use 18% earnings to pay that out. We do see sales were up 2.7%. That is better than the industry, which fell by 1.6. Earnings per share climbed by 179%, which is pretty darn good. But the industry was up 945. And again, I want to point out here as well, sales up 2.7. Earnings up 178. Must be some accounting things going on there. Or they had a very bad year last year so you gotta understand what, what what's going on the previous 12 months not the last year we do see on the balance sheet got a current ratio 1.5 versus 1.6 debt to equity 57.9 about the same as industry 55.6 uh, return on equity is 9.6 versus 7.2 that is good net profit margin checks in at 3.6 versus 2.2 and receivable turnover 4.2 versus 3.9 
Chase, what do you got for the earnings? Yeah, so current price here for Jacobs Engineering Group is $132.73, 52-week high. Well, that's $145.97, and done very well off the 52-week low of $77.51. Now, I got to September 2022. I see estimated earnings per share of $7.11. Unfortunately, it would give us a target sell price of $118.03, so below that current price there. Now, I'm not saying this is a reason that we would buy the stock, but I will say the earnings growth is estimated to be quite strong. Looking at 2021 to 2022, earnings are estimated to grow about 15%. I mean, that, that's a pretty that's sound a growth. growth rate. But the interesting thing I look at as well is I go back to 2019, it was $5.05. 2020, it was five forty-eight. So I guess probably COVID slowed them down a little mm -hmm. bit. I, I'd want to look a little bit more at their longer-term growth trajectory and, and you know kind of see what that's looked like. But... As I said, the valuations are, are expensive, and that's probably reflecting the growth. Yeah, and I feel like I know you said you're kind of waiting to buy it here and waiting for the right price. Uh, did you come up with a price on what you're going to buy that or, or what? Yeah, that was the part where I was looking for guidance because when I read through their transcripts, it sounded like they just got a long contract um, with the government. It's going to bring in a revenue stream for like five years, very consistent. Um, and uh, it sounds like their backlog is almost uh, – they, they don't have enough capacity to fill it, so they are picking and choosing margin-related – or higher margin-related products and dropping off a lot of others, which, you know, on the surface sounds really good if you can kind of pick and choose the jobs you want to work on, and it sounds like that's the case over the next three to five years. Yeah. Yeah. I just wasn't sure where the good buy price would be. I think they're a little high right now. Just wasn't sure if that number should be 130, 125. Um, yeah. That's the part that I was a little confused on. Yeah, and, we, and we do have a way of you know doing our buy price and different things we look at, which we show in the workshop. We can't kind of explain it here. Too complicated. But uh, have you been in a workshop, Phil? Yeah, I went uh, – I went this past uh, two Thursdays ago, and I, I met up with you guys on Monday earlier. Oh, okay. I, I, I remember well, it's Phil and San Marcos. Gosh, you know. Oh, I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I couldn't see you, so that's why I just did And that's why I only use first names. But anyways, yeah, so you so you do know what we do on the, the target price. Yeah. So we're good. Good. All right. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, can I make – I was very fascinated on your comments on Walmart. Mm-hmm. Uh, agreed on everything you said, and, and I, I think you mentioned like uh, growth of three or four percent. Uh huh. I I um. Do you think that's um, their overall growth or their organic growth? And when I was looking at them, I think their CEO is on a mission to massively expand their e-commerce growth. Now they're never going to be a, an Amazon. Right. That's where I thought there was some upside with Walmart. And maybe could be a buy. I don't know. Yeah, and that's not kind of more on the growth on the stock is what I was talking about. I, I didn't really talk about the growth of the earnings, but I know well, they are trying to. I talked about the growth of the earnings. The growth oh, of the earnings are four percent. Okay. So I think the growth of the stock could be about three to four percent because right. I don't see the multiple expanding either. So if right. earnings grow about four percent, the multiple remains constant. That means that over the next, you know, just to keep it simple, if it grows at four percent earnings for the next ten years and the multiple maintains itself, I, I'm guessing it's probably around twenty times earnings is where right. it's trading. That means you would do 4% per year. And, and Phil, you're here with us. Uh, we'll just have a quick conversation here. But I'm, I'm just wondering, like, will the customers of a Walmart be similar to our customers of an Amazon? Are you, you know, I mean, I think they're different. Like you said, your fiance doesn't like to go to Walmart. There's people who don't like to go to Walmart. 
will they become a Walmart e-commerce one and leave Amazon, or does Amazon have that locked in? I, I do uh, commend Walmart for going to the, you know, being a competitor against uh, Amazon, but I, I just think many times they're different customers. Yeah, you mean like the demographics of customers, right? Yes, exactly. Right. Yep. Right. No, perfect. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Okay, Phil. It. Thanks, Colin. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. Yep. All right. Bye-bye. And it is so interesting. I mean, just speaking about the shift, Walmart is so big yeah. that it, you're like moving one of those massive cruise ships. You know, <laughs> they're just not moving. I mean, right. it, it's they could grow the e-commerce. And we did see this. They were growing e-commerce, I think, like 100% a few years ago. It doesn't even make a ding. In terms of their their market value and yeah. what they're actually providing in the marketplace, because well, I think some of that is now leaving their stores and going online, so they're not like, wow, our e-commerce is up 100 percent, but if the stores are up just one percent, well, their overall growth might be 1.2 percent. Right. And these are just very simplified numbers; they're not exact, but I'm just kind of trying to provide a point that their brick and mortar is such a big business. That it takes a lot to move the needle. Yeah, and I, I don't see that going away. And I'm, I'm glad to see like a company like Walmart saying, "Well, the, the brick and mortar is not going away, but we are going to enhance our e-commerce business as well because you can't just do one and not the other." But I just don't see some Amazon client saying, "Oh, I'm going to go to Walmart yeah. uh, e-commerce now." So I, it'll, it'll be an interesting play. But that is what's good as a competition. And I think we've said before, uh, we don't believe Amazon is uh, profitable on the retail side. I don't see how it can be. I mean, you see trucks all over the place, and you see it. it's not efficient. I'd have to look at it. I mean, they, right. I mean, they buy do so they break much it up? stuff. Do they break it up, though? I don't think they do. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you'd have to look at it. I, my, I've never looked at a 10Q for Amazon. Right. My guess is they would break it out. So I, 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 I would need to take a closer look at it. But I'm going to disagree. I, I think they are profitable on the retail side, but their margins probably are not very good. Not very good. And, I mean, because they, they can buy in such mass, and they have such – sway i'd say with customers and with suppliers that I, I think they they could turn a profit i just don't think it's you know i think their aws is like 30 40 45 percent right. margins where i think the retail side is going to be very very minimal yeah i, I don't know it, it'd be interesting because again i mean they've got trucks all over the place they've, they've got people they pay minimum way i mean they, they have a lot of expenses mm -hmm. but they, they could be profitable because they're they're they're, they're huge yeah, the revenue is huge, and their their um, uh, the mass. The mass. When you expand, what right. happens is, I mean, it's accounting. You know, you look at yeah. things. Your variable costs will, will move with that because you have to hire more people. But your fixed costs, your warehouses, your your trucks, they they become a less part of your revenue because, right. well, as the revenue grows, percentage wise, your fixed costs well, they remain fixed. Oh, and they own planes, too. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. It'd, it'd be very interesting to look yeah, at that. Yeah, and how so. do they account for it? Do they right. account for the planes and the trucks as part of the retail business? Or do they count that as a company intersegment type business? Or like some companies will say, oh, that's our corporate right. expenses, our corporate segment. A corporate segment always loses money because there's right. no revenue coming into right. it. So you'd have to look very closely at it. I, I wish it, we didn't have to sleep so we could look at stuff like that because it's, it's not a high waste of my time. <laughs> I, know, I know, but it, it's curious. But to spend the hours trying to do it doesn't make any sense because oh, that was the answer. But yeah, <laughs> you're not going to do anything with the information. Exactly, exactly. Hey, you know, I, I do want to mention again because uh, the the workshop and we do talk about you know how to do target prices and Phil talked about going to the workshop a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the next one is going to be uh, July 22nd. Uh, it is going to be at our office in Scripps Ranch. Uh, and there you'll learn why value investing works best long term, why financial analysis can reduce your emotional roller coaster, 
and also to how we build portfolios for all kinds of markets. It is a free workshop, but you do have to sign up. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can uh, call the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Contact Brianna. She'll get you signed up. And look forward to seeing you at our office workshop on uh, July 22nd. That's a Thursday, I believe we did it. Yep. Yep. So, all right. Phone numbers here, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go up to Huntington Beach and speak with Andy. Andy, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. Um, kind of a great segue going from that Walmart comment. Uh, wanted to ask you about a, uh, another competitor, Walmart Target. I, I own the stock. I was considering purchasing more. But my concerns are they're at the 52-week high, which seems to also be about a three-year high, and they don't pay much of a dividend. Mm. What are your thoughts on Target going forward? You know, Andy, you're right to have some pause here. And it, it, Target's done a great job through the pandemic and so forth. The question is what they do for the second act here going forward. Let's take a look at the numbers, see if we can find some uh, hints here to help us out. Coming again is Target. Their symbol is TGT. Uh, P.E. ratio 20 versus 68, so that's a pretty good start. Price to sales looks good, 1.2 versus 3.7. Price to book value looks good, 8.2 versus 20. And price to cash flow also below the industry at 14 versus 25. So I'm surprised to see such great valuation ratios on Target. We do see the dividend yield is 1.4%. Uh, they use 22% of the earnings to pay that out. Year-over-year year, sales are up 22.5%. Not quite as good as the industry growth at 336 but gosh, 22% sales growth. I'd, I'd be thrilled with that. Uh, earnings were up 127%. Uh, not as good as the industry at 453 But again, I got nice sales growth. Nice earnings growth with Target. So, so far, I'm liking what I'm seeing. The balance sheet, uh, current ratio 1.1, same as the industry. Debt to equity is 84 for Target versus 59. But I'm okay with that debt level at 84. Return to equity, very good, 47 versus 27. Net profit margin, 5.4 uh, versus, or let's say, no, I'm sorry, 6.3 versus 5.4. We do see a no receivable turnover, which is kind of strange. Inventory turnover of 7.2 versus 8.2. So I'm, I'm surprised, Chase, how good these numbers are. I'm kind of curious what you're going to see going forward. And I, I think the receivable turnover, they, they likely don't carry the receivables might, might be the issue. I know we've seen that with other retailers. If yeah. they don't carry them, then they, they don't have receivable turnover. And the that other thing be. I was going to say, I mean, talking about Target and Walmart, I do think it is funny. You kind of talked about this a little bit in the show already, but how people sometimes are so like, I'm a Target believer. I'm a Walmart <laughs> believer. I'd, I'd say I'm a big box agnostic. I'll, I'll go wherever. I'll, <laughs> I'll go, go where I get the best closest. price. Right. I'll, I'll go where it's closest. Close the and prices best price. are going to be, I'd say, pretty close. But um, look at the numbers for Target. $246.58 is that current price. As you said, right near the 52-week high, probably hit that yesterday even, as it's $246.98. 52-week low, however, it's $116.73. Now, unfortunately, I go out to this, uh, excuse me, January 2023, they report on a fiscal basis. It's $12.15 uh, per share. Would give us a target sell price of $201.69, so below that current price there. And I know Target's done a phenomenal job, but the thing I will point out is 2022, they're asking to make $12.26. And as I said, 2023, which I'm looking at, $12.15. So I like to see growth on those earnings. 
it looks like that's not occurring with Target. Want to know why? Yeah, that'd be, that'd be a good question. Yeah, so it's and again, it's kind of a similar story to Walmart, um, is that it's a you know great business, but there's just not going to be the growth there. I think you buy at these levels, uh, Andy, and you might be sitting there with a two to three percent return three, four, or five years from now because they just you paid too much for the stock. Gotcha, gotcha. So I think hold is probably a good idea at the moment. Uh, I mean, actually, if you came over to us as a client, we'd probably be selling it because it was selling it, above, yeah. Yeah, above the target yeah. sell price. And you want to sell this at a great price, and I think you've done very well with it. So you want to sell that. And, and this is one thing that confuses our clients. They go, well, you sold it. What are you going to buy? Just because you sell something doesn't mean you're going to turn around and buy something, but you want to have that cool. cash there when you find that great buy to jump into. So I, I'd be selling target these prices. doesn't mean it's not going to go up higher, but I think there's other things you can find at better deals that would do much better over the next three to five years. Already? Wow. Very good. Great insight. I just signed up for your guys' newsletter, and uh, next weekend I'll have a, a different stock to ask you about. All right. Well, we'll be here. Thanks, Andy. You're welcome, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That opens the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And, Chase, I want to kind of emphasize what I said to Andy about because I think people make this mistake like, well, yeah, but six months, you know, I did better. I shouldn't have sold it. Well, you're not investing for six months. You're investing for that much longer term. And we've done that for people. And they said, well, yeah, but had I kept it. But then we say, but yeah, but you did this percent, which was twice as much over the last three years because you sold it. So you can't. And we, we tell people when you come to us, we're not going to buy at the absolute bottom, not sell at the absolute top, but you got to look at the reasonable prices and make money over the longer term. And I think people get sometimes tied up too much in the short term. Short term, and then you're so right. The, op- the lack of looking at the opportunity cost is another thing. It's like, yeah, I, I, if I held it, like you said, I, I did 10% rather than, yeah, but if you sold it and bought something else, you did 20%, and there's not that, that opportunity cost analysis. And to be frank, sometimes that stock does do better than what you picked, but it comes down to the philosophy of understanding why you're doing what you're doing because if you start guessing – well, you're going to be right less often than if you have a yeah. philosophy, you'll be right more often. doesn't mean you're always right. going to be right. And that's the <laughs> tricky thing when it comes to investing. And, and that's why we do the workshops. And again, the next one is going to be July 22nd at the office, which they sign up for. But these are things we talk about to get you on the investment track, as opposed to talk about just trading and gambling and so forth and how to have a good long-term portfolio because when we manage money we're, we're managing for 20 30 years and, and other people know doesn't mean your money's locked in i mean your money with us uh, at our firm will asset management is always liquid but we still have very important the intent that we're managing money for the longer term so uh, you want to sign up for the workshop since i mentioned it uh, go to our website smartinvesting2000.com again that's smartinvesting2000.com i thought we'd go back to facebook and robert does he have a uh, comment there yeah, Robert uh, wants to take a look here at Citigroup, another one uh, he's been eyeing if we get time. Uh, you know, Citigroup, quite a large bank. Ticker symbol for Citigroup is just C, letter C. Uh, okay, so let, let's say it's a Citigroup. Uh, and I will say this, always, people are always like, oh, Citibank or Citigroup. <laughs> you know, they're the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it is the same thing. But then, remember, there was something else that yeah, was something a little bit true. different. So There's like Citizens Bank. Where you gotta, that's yes, not Citigroup. Yeah, yeah. So, but this is Citigroup, <laughs> let us see. Uh, good start here, P-E ratio 9.7 versus 12.1. Price of sales 2 versus 3. Price to book value 0.83 versus 1.6. And this surprised me, Chase, because you have still paying 83 cents on the dollar for a tangible book value of a big money center bank. 
I'm surprised to see that 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 Citigroup is, is at that level. And we do see price of cash flow 7.5 versus not material for the industry. You also get a 2.9% dividend. They only used 28% of the earnings to pay that out. Sales were down 28% year over year. Industry was up 0.15. Earnings per share for Citigroup fell by 0.7. Industry up 14.7. I'm kind of wondering if the Citigroup have some issues here. Uh, the balance sheet is a, a bank, so debt to equity is 243 versus 313. Uh, return to equity, 8.6 versus 10.7. Net profit margin is 10.7, I'm sorry, 22.7 versus 24.7. What about the earnings going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Citigroup, $70.41, 52-week high, $80.29, and 52-week low is $40.49. Now, I got to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $8.18. Would give us a target sell price of $135.79, so pretty nice estimated target considering the current price is $70.41. And, and I like, and I've not looked at Citigroup in a long time. We, we can't buy in our portfolio. we got a couple big big banks already. But this is what I look at, but I, I just don't know why their price to, to a book value is so low. I mean, that, that's just, to earnings even compared to the other major banks. Yeah, yeah. So I would say this is worth looking at, but I, I feel like there's something out there that maybe we're not seeing that's causing this problem for them. Well, I'm going to kind of compare it to Wells Fargo a little bit. And it's a different story, but the reason I, I'm, I'm saying I'm going to compare it to Wells Fargo is last year, Wells Fargo, they were you know trading at comparative valuations that were like, wow, that's a pretty good opportunity. We knew what was going on with right. Wells Fargo because you know they're under the asset cap, and we knew that, of course, they had the scandals several years ago, and they have a new management team coming in, and we said, hey, this could be a good opportunity to look at the stock because – you know, can they turn things around? Right. Now, is Citigroup in a similar spot? I don't know what their problem is. Right. Where Wells Fargo, we knew what the issue was. Citigroup, I'm not quite sure what the issue is. But if they can get a turnaround going and get the ship moving in the right direction, I think Citigroup could be one of the top performing financials because they, they have the best valuations here. Yeah, and very important to understand what that issue is, yeah. but, I, but I agree with you. If, you. if you look at it and you find out, like, yeah, they can fix this problem in, in 12, 24 months, I make a big return. And here, like with Target, uh, you sell a Target at a high price, and then you buy a Citigroup at a low price, and you wait a couple of years. I'm confident, if the information is correct, that the return on Citigroup would blow way past what you'd earn on Target over the next two or three years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, but the big if that, yeah. is what is that turnaround story and is it achievable? If, if they're just not going to be a well-run bank, they're not going to trade. And, you know, J.P. Morgan's kind of looked at as the, the cream of the crop here when it comes to banking and, and Bank of America as well. Can they kind of get on par with those banks and justify trading at similar valuations? And I do remember this was years ago. I, I held City, City, bank, uh, City Group. We made good profits on it so forth. It's a good, good investment. Um, but I remember at the time they had a lot of foreign loans. And I don't know if that's still their mode of operations. They have a lot of foreign loans. Maybe that's what's dragging them down. But these are, again, things you want to understand before you do it. And Jason also did point out, and I was also surprised by this, but um, he said he owned Citibank. And uh, while other banks increased their dividend, Citigroup did not. I am curious if they came mm -hmm. out with anything to buy back stock, though, um, because if they were buying back stock, I know, like Wells Fargo, they did double their dividend, but they right. cut their dividend substantially last year. But they announced buying back, I think, $18 billion worth of stock, which is about 10% of the shares outstanding. That's a very nice shareholder distribution. I'm curious if Citigroup's like, ah, 
we're having issues and we need to right. fix things <laughs> and they didn't change anything on the capital allocation so that could be something you're mindful of and while you're not getting the distribution as a shareholder i'd rather maybe see citigroup pile that money into the operations of the bank and try and get things fixed yeah. if they are having problems yeah th there's a lot of research to do here on citigroup but i think it's worth doing it because i i can see some good potential if you find the right answers to the questions that you need to ask i mean i i have two of their credit cards I, and i they're oh. probably two of my most used credit cards they had the deal with the uh, costco costco yeah, yeah big deal yeah so they're, they're, they're definitely a, a, a big player but uh, there's something holding them down and, and you're right that the foreign side is what scares me and oh, what is yeah. going on there yeah so all right phone number is 866-577 2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to Santee and speak with Wendy. Wendy, you're in the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? It's actually Chris uh, from Santee, her husband. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay Chris, she's, she's still here, but she uh, she's listening. But I uh, wanted to check on a co-star group, uh, CSGP. Okay. They just split 10 to 1. And I'm glad you guys called because uh, we told you to call because we weren't going to remember. So That's I'm glad right. you called. That's right. Sent, now I remember we told in. you to call. <laughs> All right. So let's take a look at that. That's right. You didn't tell us to call. <laughs> <laughs> let's take a look at that co-star group incorporated symbol is CSGP. Uh, not a great start. Uh, PE ratio 140 versus 63. Price to sales 18.9 versus 4. Price to book value, 11.7. That's positive because the industry is not material. It means there is nothing there. And then we do see price of cash flow is 91 versus 22. So that's pretty expensive as well. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. We do see that their earnings per, or their uh, revenue, their sales, year over year is 17.9 versus 5. Unfortunately, earnings per share dropped by 28% when the industry was up 98 we do see that uh, the balance sheet, we got a current ratio. Now, this is strange. Current ratio, 13.2 versus 1.3. Now, current ratio is assets you can put into cash over the uh, over 12-month period. Well, there's no quick ratio, which means they don't have cash and uh, receivables, but this is something that is, uh, I'm not sure what this current ratio would be. It's very attractive, but you'd have to understand what that current ratio is, what those assets are, because it's too high, and it may not be as good as it appears. What is good, though, is the debt to equity is 18 versus 72. Return on equity, 5.1, below the industry at 12.9. You would want that higher. Net profit margin, 13.3 versus 6.4. And then receivable return, 15.5 versus 4.8. Chase, earnings going forward? And I, I do want to point out here first, too, what, what exactly the company does. They provide information, analytics, and online marketplace services to the commercial real estate, hospitality, residential, and related professional industries in the U.S., Canada, Europe, the Asia-Pacific, and Latin America. And I want to bring that up because it, it they're, they're pretty well diversified, it seems like. I would want to know where the revenue streams come from, though, because we, we talk a lot about real estate here, and I worry that, you know, the real estate is kind of peeking out here in, right. in the United States. Curious what it's going to look like across the world. But also, too, on the other side, they have commercial. I think commercial could still do decently well because that was kind of cut off during the pandemic. You can see, you know, office spaces do well. We talk about, you know, medical kind of properties doing well. So I, I, I'd want to know a little bit more on the breakdown of this company. But to look at the uh, current price here for CoStar Group, it is $82.58. 52-week high, $95.28. And 52-week low, $66.00. 
and twenty cents. Now, if I go out to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of just a dollar and forty-five cents. Unfortunately, very expensive company as using our 16.6 multiple would give us a target sell price of just twenty-four dollars and seven cents. So this company is kind of banking a lot more on the growth of it. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a growth stock, not a value stock. Yeah, and Chris and Wendy, this is one that uh, again very expensive. I'm still kind of stuck on the, the current ratio. What kind of helps with what Chase was talking about, but there's just too many things here that worries me. Doesn't mean that stocks not going to go up because it could be one of these exciting hype stocks, as we call it. But it's just not something that we feel comfortable with because it's very expensive. There's some questions there. Um, you know, we we would not recommend buying it, but it could be a stock that again, gambling could go up. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Already. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. All right. That opens the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Marty. Marty, you're on the Smart Show, Brent and Chase. How can we help you? I uh, wanted to look at a stock. It's out of South Korea. It's called Coupons. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation. C-P-N-G. Okay. I, it'll be a hard time here trying to see if I can pull this up here. Uh, uh, I know you On our market as well, yeah. but it's headquartered um, in South Korea. Yep, there, there it is. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, coming again is Coupon Incorporated, I guess the way you said it. Symbol is C-P-N-G. Unfortunately, not very good numbers here so far. Uh, no P-E ratio versus 52 for the industry. No price to sales versus 2.6 for the industry. So that does that mean they don't have sales yet? Is this a new company, Marty? Did this come out? I've been watching it for about six months. It's a takeoff from Amazon, but it's in Asia, and they deliver their packages by sleeves and not by boxes. So it's interesting to see what they're doing. And, and I guess what's, what I'm questioning is, like, why there's no sales. There should be sales at some point, but okay. Should be, yeah. no, no price to cash flow versus 21. Now we do see quarter over quarter their earnings. Uh, I'm sorry, their sales were up 74 percent versus 35. Their earnings per share or their earnings per share did fall by 108 percent. Industry up 732. Uh, the balance sheet got a good balance sheet. Uh, current ratio 1.6 versus 1.1. Debt to equity is only 18 versus 60. But there's no return on equity, uh, no profit margin, no accounts receivable, no inventory turnover. Jay, sounds like a startup, a new company. You have anything over there on their earnings going forward? Yeah. So. Uh, just kind of to reinforce what Marty said, it is a e-commerce company in South Korea. And I, right. I'm not, I don't know enough about South Korea's economy to kind of know what the potential growth for this business is, but it looks like it just came out recently. Is If I look at a chart, it goes back to just kind of April 2021. So it, it has been trading, uh, as I said, pretty pretty short time frame. But even with that short time frame, the stock has been all over the place. Current price, $40.46, 52-week low, $30.65, and 52-week high is $69. So, uh, as I said, a lot of kind of fluctuation in that stock price in such a short time frame. If I go out to next year, unfortunately, the company is still estimated to lose $0.35 cents per share. Not surprised on that considering it is an e-commerce business, and especially with that, it sounds like a younger e-commerce business. But the hope for the stock is the sales growth, I think. The current year, they're estimated to do about $19.5 billion in sales. Next year, they're looking to do about $26.5 in sales. So that's where the hope and the hype's living around. Right. I, I just I know it's something I don't feel comfortable buying just because I don't know enough about the economy in South Korea. 
Uh, what they just got approved to go into Singapore and Japan, so that's what got, piqued my interest. They just got approval to start selling there, so okay. that's what interested me. Yeah, and that's, that's maybe why, because I saw no uh, sale, no revenue growth there, no revenue. Because they just became public. So just became no public, information. but well, there, there is information because they had the earnings, but why the sales wasn't there? So the, yeah. it, it is all new. You got some good things going on there. So th this is more of a uh, speculation on, on a company that could do well, and I like what you're talking about, what they have. But it is speculation because it could right. do very well or it could be like, yeah. Well, I don't know if this is going to happen, but what if Amazon said, yeah, we're going to get into Japan now. Yeah. Oh, we're yeah. going to go into South Korea. Oh, that would that would be a, a tough, tough yeah. gorilla to face. That yeah, could be difficult. All right. All right. That's what I wanted to know. Thank you. Okay, Marty. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That opens the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866 577 Two four seven three, and Chase, I, I didn't want to spend a little bit of time on, on the real estate here a little bit because you know we have a hot real estate market and so forth. And, and I have said many times I, I don't see a big crash coming in real estate. Uh, one of the reasons that I discovered here is that fifty percent of first-time home buyers are putting down at least twenty percent, and this is very important for a home buying market to give you that stability. Mm -hmm. And for first-time home buyers, this is a level that's not been seen in ten years, and and the reason this is so important is because. When you look at the real estate crisis back in 2007, 2008, what happened was people were underwater on their homes. Mm -hmm. So when they foreclosed on them, they didn't have any equity. That's why they got foreclosed on. Now, if we had a 20% pullback in the market, let's say, huh, you'd still be break even. Right. You wouldn't be underwater. So that's kind of where the benefit comes in. And I, I don't foresee a big crash because you're not going to see, I, I don't think you're going to see home prices fall 20%. For people hoping that I'm going to wait. For homes to buy fall 20%, I don't know if that's going to happen, <laughs> but I just don't see future growth being that strong. Right. And also, too, the reason we kind of saw these problems compound was because of the foreclosure. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, the housing market's falling. Oh, you get foreclosed on. Now there's more supply of houses mm -hmm. out there. I don't see that being a, a big issue, which is why I don't think you'll see a big market crash. Yeah, I don't see, we'll see, uh, see housing prices drop 20% nor do I see him going up 20% either. I mean, yeah. we, we're kind of pushing on the thing we've talked about before on the, the show here as well and, and, and posts and so forth is that there is a level to where people can't afford the house any longer. Mm -hmm. If wages haven't gone up dramatically, well, you can't afford the payment on that house. And if rates, and I still believe that by the end of the year, we're going to see rates higher. I think we could see, I think we said a 1.7 to 2. Uh, I saw somebody predict 1.9%. Yeah. That's going to take people out of the market for the real estate. Yeah. I mean, because your, your payment now goes up, which if you can't afford the house already, and now the mortgage rates go up, well, now the, the housing prices essentially kind of have to pull back slightly so your your payment can yeah. be the same. So something to consider there. But, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. Also, wages and rents is the other thing. Uh, people will think that housing prices go up. Well, there has to be some justification for that. And if you look at I, – I like to look at the price of rent because – that's a good kind of justification of, well, what could my potential cash flow be if I owned that home and rented it out? Right. That's where I think a lot of real estate prices have to kind of reflect. Because if I'm a business owner, and if you own and you're a landlord, you should look at it as a business. Right. So that's where I like to look at the price to rent ratio a lot. Yeah. And yeah. now it's, it's very expensive. I'll oh, tell you exactly. that right now. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and no, I'm not telling you anything that people don't know. This is definitely a seller's market. And that's not when you want to be buying. You want a buyer's market where the seller has to deal with you. Right now, it's just like, I'm not going to do anything. You take this price. If you don't want it, somebody else will do it. That's not when you want to be buying. No. And I know people say, oh, I want to buy a home. I want to buy a home. 
you're not going to miss anything. Home's going to be around for a long time. <laughs> you got to be patient sometimes, whether you're buying a home or investing, or whatever. Put some patience into the equation there. And, and one thing that is kind of stimulating the markets, uh, both of them, uh, consumer confidence came out uh, last week for June as 127.3. Uh, consumers are feeling really good. And, and what this means is that spending will continue along with investing. I mean, things are going very well with our economy. Yeah, and the, the reason for the high confidence number, in our opinion, is all the cash in the economy and also the reopening of the economy with little or no restrictions. I mean, we've seen the mask wearing fall. We've seen the social distancing declining. It just feels normal, and it feels like we're getting back out there. And, you know, when you're going out shopping, and I, I like to see people's faces. It's more exciting. Oh, you, know. you know, it just— it, it, You see it, a smile. Yeah, <laughs> right. you see a smile. It's, it's exciting. It, it just seems normal, and I think that is attributing to the, the consumer confidence. And the big thing we talked about a lot already is just— the cash in the economy people have money yeah. and with money you ha have confidence and, and also too they have paid down debt uh so that means they'll have more money because they won't have that debt that they had to make the debt payments on uh people have made money as crazy as it is they have made some money on these crazy meme stocks and everything else that's going on they made money with that what worries me is that they think it's that easy they'll do that every single year um but still it gives them more money in their pocket to spend more so they feel good that'll keep the economy going as we said earlier in the show with the unemployment report, the problem we have is not enough workers to keep things going, and we got to get more workers in here or else the economy will falter because if you don't have the workers to, to, to fill the jobs and there's no thing there, people won't buy stuff. Yeah. So it's, it, it is difficult. I, I, I do want, we got a couple minutes here left, and I, I just want to mention uh, about Clorox. Uh, with Clorox, if you invested in Clorox at the beginning of last year, you saw Clor Clorox sales jump 22%. Uh, for the quarter ending June 2020, and are now sitting in a nice profit in the stock, but it may be time to lock in those profits. Yeah, I mean, looking at the street estimates for June 2021, they're looking for a 3% drop in sales this quarter, and that could be the beginning of a long decline for the cleaning stock. I mean, it, you think about what happened last year. Oh, I got to buy Clorox, and, and you see yep. the psychology behind people. They overbuy. And now it's like, oh, well, I got Clorox last for the next 10 years. Being facetious, of course, I don't think the last right. 10 years. But <laughs> I bet you this people do have it. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, just kind of overcleaning, too. And you see the amount of times people you know, would go like, that own restaurants right now. They go in and they clean. They have to wipe everything down every yeah. 10 minutes. And you know, I think that's going to start to subside over the, the coming years just as things normalize. Yeah, because Clorox, I didn't pull it up. But it, it, it got to an extent. In my opinion, excessive level for just one type of thing. But again, everyone have clean stuff. I mean, we know that Clorox is bleach and it disinfects everything. So, I mean, perhaps you invested in it, you cleaned up. Maybe now time to sell and find yeah. another one. I'll say that you did okay with Clorox, but not even that well because it, it's kind of like we talked about with Walmart. It, it just trades at such a high valuation and it has for years that even your appreciation on it wasn't that strong compared to other stocks as well. Well, because I, I thought it because I thought Clorox. And maybe it was just over the year, but I, Clorox has done well, I think, over the years. And it, was, it surprised me because it's it's almost like a one-type product. It kind of reminds me of I think they own other things, too, though. But not very much, though. I mean, the, the main thing, I think, was Clorox. I, I wonder what else they do on this. That would be kind of interesting. But uh, it's not like a big like a, a big manufacturer of, of different products, I don't believe. Yeah. So. Actually, in the last year, it has declined. But if you look really? at the beginning of 2022, yeah. Oh, so the last year, so the last twelve months or so. I mean, if you look at the beginning of two thousand twenty, it was at fifty seven thirty one. It spiked up to two thirty six fifty one, and now it's at one seventy nine. So that decline's already started occurring. Start already. All right, uh, there's a closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. 
Let us discuss in more detail your investment needs. If you have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Today's show is sponsored in part by Thompson Reuters Refinitiv. Closing song for next Sinatra's My Way is performed by local entertainer Roman Palacios. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on Smart Investing. May I say, not in a shop. This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.